questions get asked when people have hesitancy or reluctance to get vaccinated. Did you go too quickly is the first. The answer to that is the speed was a reflection of extraordinary scientific advances and did not compromise safety, nor did it compromise scientific integrity. The next question is, okay, but what about the fact, is it really safe and is it really effective? Or is this something the government is trying to put over on us? Is this something the companies want to take advantage of? Well, let's take a look at what's happened over the past few months. We've had clinical trials, and thanks to the volunteers in that trial, in tens of thousands who have put themselves on the line to prove to the country and the world that these are safe and effective products. It is really bittersweet. The bitterness is the fact of what the Vice President mentioned. We still are in the middle of a very difficult situation with record numbers of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. But the sweetness is the light at the end of the tunnel, which I can tell you as we get into January, February, March, and April, that light is going to get brighter and brighter, and the bitterness is going to be replaced by the sweetness. And we all hope, and I think this is doable, that by the time we get to several months into this year, we will have enough people protected that we can start thinking seriously about the return to normality. And there comes a time when you do have to give up what you consider your individual right of making your own decision for the greater good of society. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, August 7th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Man, it's probably going to be a long show, but I'm going to do my best to make it short. I've said this so many times, but I have a plan today. I'm going to do my best to see if we can... I'm probably going to irritate some people, but I'm and I'll probably forget after 30 seconds, but I'm going to try to not you know, do, to say as little as possible, to be quite frank, and just go through the content and add as little as much as I don't think that's what most people want. My goal is to try to kind of find my middle ground here on not having as long shows as I can do. And I'm, you guys have seen, I've been doing pretty well. I mean, most of these last ones have been too, you know, or lower, and that's pretty good for us lately, but especially with how much content we include as, you know, the diehard team, I know that, that there's so much content that we put out days worth of content for most shows in three, four hours. And that's, in fact, why I still call it concise, people have an issue with that. But today in general, <laughs> that opening clip, it's just, it's just so incredible that everything he said there, we now know isn't true. The, the extraordinary advances in science. I mean, even if you want to argue that the mRNA direction, which I mean, arguably is an advancement in science or an extraordinary advancement in science, didn't happen overnight. That was 20 years of advancement. Like, so the idea that the, ex the rapid succession, the, the, sh the lack of safety testing was all because of an advancement that happened right then. That's just not even true as, as well as just about everything else that we could talk about there. But now looking back, the, the discussion of when we would see the light at the end of the tunnel and everything else. 
it's just so staggering that we're still here. And the Pfizer hearing in Australia has really, I mean, I got to give the credit to these people, the, the politicians in Australia, as much as I am really jaded against just about every politician or politics in general or government in general, I find it hard to believe that what they're doing is not at least trying to, you know, I agree that there's ways they could go about this that might see more accountability, if that's even possible. But at the very least, the way that there are a few of them, Rennick, Malcolm, or um, I'm blanking on his name. I think it was Malcolm, but that's his first name. I'll get to him in a second. I'm not as familiar with the Australian politicians, but they are just calling these people out. And the questions, they're, the way they're framing this, the way that they're conducting the questioning, it's, it is, look, if you have never seen any of this and you watched one of those hearings, you would be blown away. You would you would stand back and go, my God, there's something wrong right now. And that's what's happening. And it's powerful. And I'm really glad to see it. So we're going to go over that again. Highlight the recent Substack post where Scott just recently went up over a lot of the earlier uh, Pfizer hearing clips. We're going to add a bunch more today that are really important. We're going to go over, I mean, really some main points today are going to be a, a quick thing on Niger. We're going to talk a little bit more about Israel to start we're going to go over the Pfizer information and, and the different parts of the hearing, as well as the incredible point. And I'm glad I, I remember this. I want to say this early. In the title I wrote, Australia approves Comirnaty, the original version. Now, that's not entirely – it is accurate, but it, the, real way, the appropriate way to say this in Australia is that it is now fully registered. It, is, it was provisionally approved. And then now it technically you can call it fully approved in Australia. But again, in the United States, that's not a real thing. We have approval and that's it. And that, that's the game that's been played the entire time. But it was under evaluation for full registration. And in July of this year, while they're going through all these hearings or at least right afterward, going through all the scathing evidence and the lack of evidence. And in July, they gave the original shot full registration, the original one. <laughs> Like, how does that even make sense in the context of anything that's happening today? I'll get into it. It's mind-blowing. We're going to talk about the pandemic of the injected a little bit more today. And as you know, as it seems to be, the, how big this really is, as it applies to animals, infants, I mean, everything. It's, it's really incredible to see that people are beginning to understand that this is not just about COVID-19. And I'm glad to see that. That does not mean that everything under the sun vaccination is dangerous, but Quite frankly, if the people behind it are the same, I don't know why we wouldn't question that. I've always maintained that vaccination technology, if we understand it correctly, could be applied appropriately. With the people that are there, I think it's pretty obvious that we need to kind of pause just about everything. And that's not that crazy to realize. But we'll get into all that. Talking about the new CDC director. <laughs> We're going to talk about the disease X discussion. If you haven't seen this, this is coming from... Uh, you know, global discussion, WHO, UN, kind of, you know, the the, the bigger pe preparedness pandemic discussion and what, what disease X means. Technically, COVID-19 is disease X, but now they're aiming for the next one. <laughs> exactly. And it's alarming. It's ultimately the unknown. What's the next disease X going to be? And we'll get into what, why that even seems to make sense to some people today, because we're in the age of pandemics. Didn't you know that? The Guardian told you that in 2020. Somehow they all knew this was going to be the time because they're experts, right? They all know they can predict the future. Well, no, because we'd love to think that they can just kind of read this because they're the experts. But the reality is there's a lot more going on and it's quite nefarious. We'll get into that and what that means and how they're using this to propel the next direction. We're going to talk about the transgender conversation today. and We're going to finish with an issue about the banking crisis and how it all kind of ties together. 
So let's get right into it and do my best to get through this, you know, in, with reasonable speed, because I don't want this to be as long as I really know this could be like, this could be a five hour show if I let it go too long, like I'm doing right now. So let's jump into it. I want to start with a shout out to uh, the article that recently was put out by Robert Inlacash on The Last American Vagabond, debunking Robert F. Kennedy's Jr.'s pro-talking, <laughs> pro-talking, pro-Israel talking points. And this is just so very important. I, you know, I kind of, I was going to kind of go, go through this, but I think this is probably one of the best places I can save some time. I've, I mean, I've gone over literally every one of these points a hundred times on the show, but the way that this is put together, it is really powerful. And quite frankly, this is, I mean, it is about RFK because I got to be honest. I mean, if he doesn't know these things, that's very alarming. Or if he's lying about it, it's even more alarming. I don't know how he doesn't know that what he's saying about this is untrue. I know that Jimmy Thor just kind of, in, they offered to do a, a debate and then he said yes. And then he pulled back. I mean, politically, I even understand why there's no benefit to him doing that. But nonetheless, it made him look really bad. And But his own statements make him look bad anyway in this context. Every, a lot of other things he talks about, I think, are fantastic. But this is, I just, I can't get on board with this. And the reason I use this picture is because this is the rabbi he's speaking with. The person asked him a question, RFK Jr. He stood up and said, I'll let Bobby answer in a second, which is what you can see there. Think about that as a presidential candidate. Oh, you're going to let me speak in a second? Thanks, man. Like this, it's very confusing and odd how this all went down. The article is so powerful because it goes through things that you can prove yourself. If you have the time and you wherewithal and you care, it's this simple. And the claims are very easy. Israel is not is the only nation in the Middle East with a freedom of expression. It's just blatantly untrue. And I find it really difficult to believe that he doesn't know that. Now, again, maybe he's lying because he wants to get elected and he's going to change the world. I effing hope so. I really do. I really genuinely do. But I just find it hard to believe. Please read this again. He ta- they get into this main image right here. This part was in regard to specifically Shireen Abu Akleh, the U.S. journalist with U.S. citizenship, a U.S. A Palestinian journalist that was shot by IDF. They lied about it over and over and over until they finally admitted that it was an accidental shot, even though you can prove with forensics and video and everything else that it was undeniably clear, not even to get in to the many other journalists and medics that have been directly fired on, shot with video. And you know, it's just incredible that he can even make the argument that this isn't what it looks like. We talked about the fact that this is openly an apartheid state, openly a racist apartheid state. This is not contentious anymore. Well, it's for some people, if you can remember that a year ago on the new on TV, after they established the nation state law, then they, their Israeli media themselves were like, well, hold on, guys, don't be crazy. Their Arabs are equal in this country because that used to be kind of the narrative until Netanyahu decided to put us put us put a stop to that. He stepped up and said, no, you're wrong, and spoke and said, Israel's the nation state of the Jews alone. I don't know how you can rectify that with anything else that people are saying in the United States. Even if you agree with that, fine, that's your decision, but that's racist, clearly. And just to be clear, they don't treat the Ethiopian Jews in Israel the same either. But that's a whole other conversation. The point is, though, this is openly the reality. You can see that I see it now. I'm realizing I did. I didn't move on. <laughs> I'm sitting here talking. This is an important topic, though. Well, I'll make it quick. The point, though. Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Bet Selim, all of them call this an apartheid state. I believe it was Tutu who said that this is worse than he experienced in South Africa. You can't really deny that seeing as how they were there. Iran is castrating gays while Israel has pride parades with 150,000 present. The point is the way they misrepresent Israel, excuse me, Iran is just the same. 
We in this country seem to somehow think Iran is some kind of backwater tribal. It's ridiculous. Quite frankly, Iran is most more technologically advanced than, than the U.S. in many ways or a lot of places in the world and are not the way that they are perceived. Different cop. We can get into that if we want to take an entire show, but read the article. Everything about this is being misrepresented or the fact that everyone that was in Janine was in a terrorist. I mean, there were children and women killed, of course, because they think that they're all terrorists and they will openly say that when pushed, which is the whole point. Palestinian Authority pays people to kill Jews. First of all, it's not even true. Secondly, the Palestinian Authority verifiably works directly for the Israeli government today. It's not even a secret. Netanyahu has been trying to make that more public. All Arab countries had plans to exterminate the Jews in 1948 and sided with Hitler. This is a little bit more of a nuanced conversation because there are, and the point I love about Robert's article is that he does get into the information that some might or ignore if they're, you know, dishonest or partisan minded. But he makes a point to say, yes, that the Grand Mufti at the time did meet with Hitler. But the reality is that there were people on the other side that were far more immersed with that conversation, meeting more often and so on. But that just gets ignored. It, there's a lot of important stuff here that I hope you guys will check out. This is such an important conversation, especially when you realize how much the Zionist government is involved in literally, I shouldn't say literally, but in my mind, what I was thinking of, but most important conversations we're talking about around the world. That doesn't have to mean that they're leading these conversations, but we should ask that. It's a very important conversation. Here's something you might think is interesting, especially coming off that last clip that I showed there. I played yet the last show. As these Orthodox Jews in New York are telling you, both in New York and in Israel, by the way, it is wrong to say that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Israel is a political entity founded by non-Jewish people. Now, of course, they'll freak out and call me an anti-Semitist Nazi white supremacist for saying that, except the fact that I'm reading it directly from, and you can listen to the video yourself, I played it last show, an Orthodox Jew in New York, as well as the ones in Israel that get beat up by the IDF, telling you the reality. Zionism is using Judaism. The Jewish, the Jewish people are not an ancient, are, excuse me, are an ancient re religious community belonging to many nationalities around the world, right? This is what they're talking about there is the idea that Zionism has chosen to take Judaism and make it their ethnicity, use it, the conflate it, the manipulation. It's not how this, it's not the reality. How does criticizing Israel mean hatred towards the Jews? I'm trying to get an interview with one of the people from their group because they're doing excellent work, by the way. But on that note, here's another example. How Israel democracy battle is changing Biden and, and the relationship there with Israel and the Jews. And it says, quote, when you have rabbis from the reformed Jewish community issuing a statement saying the most extreme members of the Israeli government do not represent Jewish values. It tells you that this that it tells you this is different. What's interesting to me is this is almost in, like, I, there's probably plenty of people that would bottom line is. There are very extreme examples in the current coalition. The, Zion, the religious Zionism party was called extremist by even the ADL recently, <laughs> like you know, years. But the point, you could make a line there and say, well, yes, the most extreme don't represent the Jewish community. I would absolutely agree with that. But there are still people in the Jewish community that have been propagandized by the Zionist agenda, just like we can say the same thing in this country. So it's important to realize that this is a growing concept there. Abby Martin has done amazing work over the years, I almost included some of those, but there's some longer videos where she's interviewing Israeli Jews. And you should hear some of the things they're saying. That doesn't mean every Jew thinks that. I'll continue to point out there's plenty of Jewish people in Israel that will try to fight for the Palestinian people. But the bottom line is they are influencing minds. It's important to understand that. And every time your government doesn't care about that, ignores what's going on, it only gets more powerful. But the narrative is falling apart. A lot of them are. The world is shifting in powerful ways right now. We're watching a revolution take place in Africa that everyone wants to blame on something else, but the people are done. They are done with what's going on. The Western stepping on their necks. 
the Western governments. It's happening all over the world. The Israeli people are protesting against the Israeli government. You know why? Because the judicial reforms are turning it into a religious state, which it basically already is in a lot of ways, as they point at Iran and elsewhere and say they're the bad ones. It's exactly what's happening. That's why they're pro- the corporate media is not going to show you that, though. Now, here we just talked about the this this was the previous the previous show. EPA accidentally admits East Palestine in danger, politically useful bioweapons, pharma child experiments, and the big blue lie. Another long show. That's where we get into some pretty interesting stuff about this topic and go pretty hard on the reality of what's going on there. But I wanted to point this out before we go further. This was a comment I got from somebody. Same thing I want I point out about not that it means that I'm right or that it, you know it's like saying I've got a black friend, so therefore I'm not raised like kind of that ploy. That's not what's happening here though. Like I keep telling you in regard to transgender people that reach out to me all the time and say, thank God you're calling this out. You know, I believe that I have a right to do this, but I don't believe what's happening to children and so on. I get it all the time. This person reached out to me and said, this show is bonkers, referring to this show right here, and said, I'm Jewish and now I get it. Holy moly. And the virus and ticks and meat, bravo on all. Now, of course, that person could be lying, but I just appreciate that. You know, somebody reaching out and saying, look, you man, I understand people are calling you racist for pointing out the facts, but I get it and I see it now. Thank you for your work. I get that every day. I get a lot more negative too, but I think that's important. Also want to shout out before we keep going, an uh, excellent article by Derek Rose went out yesterday. Mexican presidential candidate Marcela Ebrand announces Angel Plan. Just look up Angel Plan or read the article rather. You know, it's, he does a great job on this. Surve- Angel Plan Surveillance State Nightmare. It's terrifying. I mean, th- this is the surveillance state on steroids become blending over into Mexico. AMLO seems to be out to retire. I mean, who knows what's going to happen next? This is, this is exactly what's, this is the great reset. It's what this is terrifying. So make sure you understand what's happening there. I had a great interview with George Webb, AI created drugs, the fake China lab. That's, that's the one that everyone seems to kind of blame on China, even though it seems kind of obvious that that's at the very least something that's coordinated. I just find, I don't want to get into that in this, I went deep on it last time, but the point is it just does not make sense to think that Chinese intelligence would have a building with a hose coming out of the side. And, you know, it's just, it, it seems classically ridiculous, but that doesn't mean I know what's really going on there and we should be skeptical about it. But he seems to think it's not what it looks like and being primed with a life switch in regard to the injections. The analogy he uses is the injections that were given to people. This is his opinion, but it sounds something like something I, I would consider is like putting the drill platform in. The next ones will be the drill. That's scary, but I don't know if that's the case, but I do believe that there's some validity to what he's saying. <clears throat> now, on that one, that note, before we go forward, I, I told people I would address this today very quickly. There's something very strange going on with the website every every day in the life of T-Lab because we're always under attack, it seems. But I don't know what's going on here because people are reaching out to me saying, you know, interviews aren't showing up. Links aren't there, even though I know that they are. For instance, on <clears throat> this last show, the Pfizer hearing, all the links are here posted. Everything's updated. The podcast is there. I do that almost without fail these days right after the show. But what's weird is what you're going to see. Let me move this real quick is if I go to a a private window, and this is what's very strange to me, is that I am looking at my window. Where was the, uh, let me see. Oh, it's that one, okay. On my end, and I can see it. But if I look uh, on a private window, look at what it says, or look what it shows. No, No podcast, and the links aren't there. Now, I put, this was, what, on the third? That's that's very concerning. Now that's that could be a cache problem, but I cached it and it's still it's still wrong. 
everyone else is looking. They can't see it. I don't know. I've reached out to my guys. They don't know why. I haven't found any other examples. The show's right after this. We're all fine. I can't get them to show up, it seems, except when I look at it, which is very strange to me. It makes me quite uncomfortable, I have to be honest. Now, here's just the, the you know, on the, on the other part was this one. So under interviews, I've done four interviews since this, but for some reason, it just won't update, except when I look at it on my side, which I don't really understand. So I just wanted to show people this. So just understand that one, that one show, I'm not sure how I get you guys these links if it won't show up. Here, oh, here is the interviews right here. There's George Webb and Brad Miller and Jackson, Jackson, uh, Brooke Jackson and Freddie Pontone. And they're, they're just not showing up. I'm very, and this person reached out and said, this is even stranger. Check this out. He said, the links on this episode that are there, he says they only appear when a comment is awaiting moderation. When that's usually when they have a link included or something. The way I, by the way, changed the links on the website or the posting is that if you've posted before, you can just, it doesn't stop you. But if somebody new, it, it goes to moderation just because there's so much spam. People always try to dump things on the site. But apparently when it was waiting moderation, they could see the links. But then when I approved the, the comment, it suddenly went away. <laughs> Look, I don't know what that means. Could be, it actually kind of sounds like some weird glitch, but I'm just on guard today. I don't know what's going on. Oh, and then by the way, this happened for about half an hour today. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Paying for a dedicated server and then randomly things stop working. I mean, there's something going on. We're, we're trying to find some solutions, guys, but I don't know. And here's the links for the new ones right after that. So we'll have to find out. We'll see. Just wanted to let, let people know. Now, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to find a way I can kind of dump those links somewhere publicly where you guys can have them because I don't know how else to get them to the people asking for them other than posting them on the website. So I apologize for that. Now, on to some foreign policy reasonably quickly. I just wanted to update some things about Niger. Ignorance points out, ignorance, the, the root of stem of all evil, as the account name says, addressed to the nation by the military government of Niger. In a new statement published during the during night, Niger's military government asserts asserted that ECOWAS, the essentially the kind of was the was the comparative point about uh, oh, oh uh, organization of American states kind of situation with Bolivia. It's kind of the same kind of game here where they're using this kind of organization to pressure. It's this is Western powers pressuring them has completed, they're, they're basically saying they've completed their plans for intervention, which is just so incredible, right? They just, they've, they already made their mind up. It doesn't matter what the people want. It doesn't matter what anything's happening. We want our power and control of the area back. So we're just going to rationalize it because we don't like you. The spokesman added that there is a pre-development deployment, pre-deployment of forces in two countries in West Africa in preparation for a military intervention in Nigeria. That's, this, it's just kind of wild because I mean, uh, uh, Mali as well as Burkina Faso have already said, if you do that, we're in this together with them. So are you real? Are they really arguably going to just go to war with half of Africa? I mean, that's seems like what's going to happen. You know what? It seems like that's that important to the U.S. agenda. Niger's junta also claimed that ECOWAS is planning to invade the country with money from a foreign power. Gee, I wonder where. In the address, military government called on its citizens to be ready to, quote, defend the homeland and independence of Niger, and then deployed several hundred Nigerian soldiers to reinforce the borders with Nigeria and Benin, or Benin. So here, Going Underground points out, and this is the kind of stuff you're not going to see. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I forgot I switched. Thank you. A Angela just told me. I forgot I switched the uh, the screen share. One second. I had to use the... Uh, uh, private browser so you guys could see that. So let me just really quickly show you what I was just what I looked at for a second there. Just this one. That's all you missed. That's that image. And I just read what he said. It's in another, it's in uh, Nigerian. And then here was the image I'm showing next. <clears throat> now this is 
going going underground showing you i mean this is huge guys this, this huge whole stadium i mean the point is thousands rallied in the main stadium of of niger their capital not for a game but in support of this to support the military government against threats of invasion from the u.s france nigeria and other ecowas states this is going underground rights the time has run out for french neocolonialism in africa or has it again though it's very much french occupation here but let's re- let's remember that that in my opinion with Macron especially in place, that either means it's the globalist control or the U.S. government or some other variation. I don't think France has any real autonomy when it comes to government global actions. And I, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but that'd be my opinion. Right now, if I had to pick who's ultimately kind of in control, if you want to frame it that way, it'd be a combination of, you know, British intelligence power, U.S. and Israeli kind of direction. But again, there's a lot of other things going on. And of course, that's from a Western perspective. And on the other side, you know, you could make it quite different, but it's all guessing. But the point is people, people are rising up all over the place. Now, again, that doesn't mean that this, you know, I mean, look, this, you could argue, calling this a junta, first of all, does not necessarily make it uh, something that people don't support, right? It's like saying invasion or, or, you know, like when we say, oh, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine. Well, they did. (laughs) Whether or not you think it's justified, that's actually what happened. So playing games with the terms are what they love to do. So yeah, the, the junta just means, as I understand it, is just a military kind of a coup, essentially. Now, if the people support that, it's revolution, right? I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's a game with the terms. So the point, though, is that the people in power, which are military, it's yet it remains to be seen, for me, whether they will ultimately do what the people want, right? So just because they... The people support it now and so on. Let, let's just, you know, hold our judgment before we just go, you know, U.S. bad guy, therefore they're good. They love the binary game, right? But we can be clear that French occupation, U.S. foreign policy, they're done with that. That is not secret. That is not something that's because of Russia. It's because they're done with that. And there's a lot of important information, people talking about this, that are making this clear. I think Michael Hudson was speaking with uh, going underground, you know, and the point is, they're like it's the same point that I make. They're making agreements with these people. Now, yes, they have power and they're likely strong arming or forcing into getting a better deal. But coming from you know being under a boot and forcing and, and occupation based on the fact that we're fighting your terrorism, sh- sh- shut up, is <laughs> very different than them shaking hands and signing documents and, and getting something for it. Like he pointed out with Africa in general, most of everything, or actually South America, he's saying most of everything being built there, universities, schools, roads, that's China doing that. So they see them as an ally, whereas the U.S. government's the one with their bases there, militarily forcing them to do what they want. You see, this is not working for them. That doesn't mean good guy, bad guy. It just simply means the perception of the people in these countries, which matters. Simon from Florida points out important constitutional details that ECOWAS apparently can't justify intervention in Nigeria without U.N. approval, according to, you know, but again, that doesn't, that's the legalities, but that doesn't mean much to these people if we're going to be very honest about this, right? It's they don't care about UN mandates or the law in general when it comes to something that they want. They just scream freedom or terrorism or whatever and just pretend like it doesn't matter. But nonetheless, it's an important note to realize that there's the techno. I mean, let's realize also that the U.S. government, for example, shouldn't have been able to invade Iraq without some sort of a UN agreement. But they did it anyway. It's just how this works. Right. That's that the world changes every time they do something like that. Now, let's not let's also realize in the midst of all this madness. I'm not sure if this is meant to just get you looking somewhere anywhere other than Africa or Ukraine or any any one of their crumbling narratives right now, or it's just really part of the plan. But ask yourself why this would be happening right now. The cradle, by the way, which you should fall. I swear I already shared that. I am so unhappy with Twitter right now. Um, 
Breaking news, it says over 3,000 U.S. troops have apparently arrived in the Persian Gulf. <laughs> yeah, you read that, or you heard that, as tensions between Washington and Tehran. Oh, great. So now Iran's stepping in? Like, why exactly? What do you mean tensions between Iran? Iran is not right now bothering anybody outside of its borders. Let's be very real about that, regardless of what you think about what might be going on inside of there, which is aggressively misrepresented by just about every Western country. What exactly is the issue right now? What it, the U.S. government just came out and said they're not making a nuclear bomb. That's not happening. The IAEA confirmed that. Now, you can disagree with that, but that's the U.S. government, U.S. intelligence, as well as the International Atomic Energy Agency. Now, whatever Israel's screaming, which they've been screaming for 40 years, it's 30 seconds away and nothing ever happens. As well as the fact that it's not in, it's a, like a religious, uh, what do they call it? A, is it a, I don't want to misuse the term. It's, it goes against their religion to do so. Doesn't mean they wouldn't do it. Certainly possible. But bottom line is, why is this happening now? I mean, it's pretty intense. This is this is boiling up, right? That's what they say. Threatened to boil over. Well, the only reason that's happening is because of U.S. foreign policy. That's it. Just like the last time, right? What was it again? Operation... Oh, I haven't talked about it in a while now. Give me in the chat. What was the original uh, coup in Iran? Completely ridiculous. They overthrew the person that was like outwardly pro-America and freedom because he didn't agree with certain things and puts the Shah in place, which was a brutal dictator. And it was a horrible time for most people in Iran outside the Western inner circle, despite the fact that they never report it that way. <laughs> in any case, uh, I hate that I can't remember that. Oh, somebody in the chat remind me of what the name of the previous coup was, the, the U.S. regime change in Iran. Now, also, an important news in Ukraine, you guys might not have seen this. Russia vows response after Ukrainian drone hit a Russian tanker. You remember what happened when the, it was even the possibility that a tanker was like brushed by Iran or anything else or Yemen or it would just they freak out and it becomes a 13 day cycle of how it might have happened and what's going on. Of course, not this time. Right. What happened? What did they care about this? Well, no, because Russia bad guy. Right. So they go ahead, bomb inside of Moscow. We don't care. Violate every rule. We don't care. Ethnically cleanse all of Donbass. We'll turn away. It's just disgusting how these people are so blatantly dishonest. Wait till we get to the Pfizer discussion. You'll know then for sure. Ukrainian officials said the tanker was hit with a sea drone carrying 992 pounds of TNT. Look at that. So they even admitted it, right? Yep, we did it. Well, this is kind of supposed to be off limits, especially if it's not in a, in a military zone. As, and, and even then, of course, the point is they're going to say, well, they're at war. They invaded. So everything's off limits. Well, that's yeah. I mean, you, that's, of course, the way war typically works. But at least outwardly, their narrative tends to be, well, you know, there's certain things that are off limits. Right. You don't bomb civilian areas, you know, things like that. When it comes to just normal shipping and channels, they aren't supposed to do that. But, you know, they don't care. The U.S. government in particular has proven that they don't care about those things. But they cry foul anytime anybody else does it. But, guys, this is a huge escalation. Can you imagine what would happen in reverse? Can you imagine if Russia had to hit anything, anybody that was associated with NATO or the West as a tanker? I mean, that would be the biggest story of the year. And you know that. I'm surprised nobody knows the name of that. That's driving me crazy. Can somebody remember the name of the original? I'm going to look it up if somebody can't remember because it's going to drive me crazy the entire show. Ah, uh, something. <laughs> Bananas. But keep an eye on this because this is only imploding like all these narratives because we all see what's really going on. Ukraine is exactly what we think it is. And here's an interesting point to kind of accentuate that. Sprinter points out that Ukraine is being sold to the West for debts. That's his opinion. That's his framing of it. But I'll show you, you know, what we can prove here. Details of the agreement with BlackRock became known. On May 8th, 
Zelensky signed an agreement with the American Investment Fund, BlackRock. It's just crazy how often this keeps coming up. You know why? Because this is one of, it, I mean, financially, it's obvious. This is the, the Vanguard BlackRock overlap, even as one entity potentially, they are completely immersed in just about everything. It's just wild. And now they're all of a sudden, hey, BlackRock, or before pre-COVID, we got a plan for that. It's just very, very concerning. We're going to we'll buy out your treasury. And JP Morgan as well, shocking, not at all, to establish the Ukraine Deployment Fund. Hooray! And it says, formally, the document is about attracting investments in the energy sector of Ukraine, in infrastructure and agriculture. In fact, the agreement paves way for a complete sale of the main sectors of the Ukrainian economy to in payment of debts for arms, supplies, and financial assistance. Now, I'll show you the article next, but this person adds this video, which I also think is important. You remember this, right? We've already played this. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but this is the BlackRock recruiter, recruiter who decides people's fate, spills info on companies' world impact. You got $10,000, you could buy a senator. Yeah, well, I think we all know that, guys. They don't want to be in the news. They- that wasn't to apply this isn't important. I just meant, like, I think everybody's, you know, these people are corrupt, was my point. This is an important clip. It, they don't want people to talk about them. They don't want to be anywhere on the radar. Why not? I don't know, but I suspect it's probably because it's easier to do things when people aren't thinking about it. All of these financial institutions, they buy politicians. You can take this big ton of money, and then you can start to buy people. I work for a company called BlackRock. Meet Serge Barlet, a recruiter at BlackRock. Let me tell you, it's not the who is the president. It's who's controlling the, the wall right now. The hedge funds, the banks, the in financing. Yep, you can buy your tenants. And obviously, we have this system in place. First, there's the Senate. You got 10 grand, you can buy it. I'll give you 500k right now. Here's Serge Barlet on how good war is for BlackRock's business. Do you have any um, thoughts on the Ukraine-Russia war? Yeah, I mean, I, I do have thoughts. What are they? Ukraine is good for business. In general, right? Uh, again, yeah. example, Russia, Russia blows up Ukraine's grain silos. Price of wheat's going to go mad up. The Ukrainian an economy is tied very largely to the wheat market. Yeah, and hopefully you guys remember this. I didn't plan to play the whole thing. Operation Ajax, I found it while I was searching. Thank God, it's going to drive me crazy. Operation Ajax, is important to remember. Search that on T-Lab's website, T-Lab website, and you will find a lot. Talked about that a hell of a lot over the years. I mean, just think about that. The overlaps with Ukraine, the wheat. Think of how much that wheat discussion has played a factor. Hey, if we destroy it all, we'll make a lot of money. Well, guess what happens? We blamed it on Russia, didn't we? I mean, it's, it's pretty and crazy. It's, it's, it's so blatant. Here is the actual article. That it is referenced, it's translated. BlackRock and the sellout of Ukraine to transnational capital. Read it for yourself. <clears throat> now, here was the anomaly post, just anomaly posted this, but this is the article you can read. BlackRock gets half a trillion dollar deal to rebuild Ukraine. Like, while it's at war, that makes sense, right? They they won't allow a cent to go to Syria because they didn't get what they want, but they're in the midst of this rebuilding. It's it's this is money laundering, as far as I can tell. What a spontaneous and shocking coincidence. Let's not forget, by the way, how int- int- integral this this group. Has been. I use this image from from the original sort of uh, uh, standard oil 
breakup that was really an illusion, right? It was about the, that's what they wanted all along. So they gave, they ended up breaking it up, which made them the most, the, uh, the, Rock, the Rockefellers, the, most, the wealthiest. You know, the point was, it was an illusion what they sold. They, they, people thought they were breaking it up to stop their power. And all they did was cement that power. So in this case, it's the kind of same image, the COVID coup, the BlackRock takeover of American interests. It's not stopping there. Right. And then Josh Welkos has a great article, The Long Shadow of BlackRock. Make sure you check both of these out because this is it's important to understand what's really going on on a global scale. Now, we also want to make a point about the ticks really quickly. We just talked about this in regard to the tick bioweapons conversation, Plum Island. It's an incredible story. That's, it's impossible not to see what's going on to some degree. I'm not going to say I know for sure every tick bite everywhere, but to know that this happened, it's undeniable. Again, they've almost, I mean, it, it's not almost. This was a soft admission at, at years ago to say, yeah, well, it, there was some got out of hand and, you know, that's some of it, but they don't really admit that, that everything like this is a problem, like Lyme disease is a bioweapon, but they've admitted that they did bioresearch on these ticks and some did go over into the United, to, uh, from the island onto the mainland. That's a fact. And so we just need to realize these things are part of this. When we get into the alpha-gal syndrome and the meat-eating issue and all the things we talked about here. It's very important. i got to bring that up because somebody shared this with me. Six days, Bill Gates funded research into genetically engineered cattle ticks. <laughs> what do you know? Now, 450,000 Americans have red meat allergies from alpha-gal syndrome. What a happy coincidence. Hey, well, meat's bad for the planet anyway, right? I'm not saying I, meet, I know that connects. Just could be a coincidence, right? Or not. It's up to you to decide. 450,000 red meat allergies. Here's Oxitec, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Feasibility of a self-limiting R micro, micro plus for sustainable tick control. Yeah, is it is it not is it outside the realm of possibility that that just got out of control or it was always the design? It's just amazing what people will refuse to consider because they're afraid to be called a conspiracy theorist, despite the fact that that seems to be, you know, <laughs> batting a hundred there, you know, whatever you want to say, batting. I want to say batting a thousand, but. In regard to what happened with COVID, I mean, everybody's kind of like, well, that term doesn't really mean we thought it is anymore, right? This is important. 2021. Oh, and by the way, don't forget that Whitney wrote about Oxitec specifically and mosquitoes and Bill Gates back in 2020. Totally ahead of the story. Eco-genocide in the genetically engineered mosquito army. But on that note, let's talk about Pfizer and their bioweapons. Oh, excuse me. You know, their, their injections. <clears throat> so this was a great sub stack that... Scott just put out in regard to the previous show we just did. Pfizer officials exposed refused to answer questions in Australian Senate hearing. Now, it's, there's some every one of these clips has been so powerful. I mean, really, really, truly exposing what these people are. It's it's incredible. So I wanted to go into a couple more. So make sure you check this out and watch these to get updated. Because I'm not going to go over the ones we already watched. I mean, there's a lot of them about the fact that they don't know how it's causing myocarditis or they, they won't admit that it doesn't stop transmission or it's just blatantly dishonest. I th what they're doing right on these hearings, guys, is not about information. It is about limiting liability. They know that every single thing they say right now could in a in a you know, an honest world, which I hope there's some of that left, could be liable, they could be held accountable in a court of law. So it's not about, they, they, as long as they don't answer, I think they feel that they're safe in this moment anyway, right? So that's why they just, we all see it. It's, it's ridiculous to keep answering with a non-answer, but that means they at least they're not admitting, even though they kind of had a couple of slip-ups that are important. So remembering all that, right now, after all of this, they're basically calling for a royal commission 
which don't forget, this is a, you know, a, a vassal state of Britain. So it's the same as, it, not, you know, not, not really democracy or sovereignty, but the point is Australia has to call for a royal commission to do a, like a, or, and they also, he's also calling for a Senate inquiry, even though they're already kind of doing something in that vein. And I'll let you hear what they ultimately vote for it. Vote, in, I'll let you see how they vote. But what's crazy is the information they present here. It's everything you can prove for yourself. We've already gone over most of this. And then what ultimately happens, and then to find out what I kind of said in the beginning about how they've given full registration to the original shot, even as this is going on. I mean, what does that really show you? What's the point of even having these hearings if they're already, if they already approved it, right? I think we know because this is blatantly corrupt. Here is Senator Malcolm Roberts. So I forgot his last name before, Malcolm Roberts. Thank you. As a servant to the many different people who make up our one Queensland community, Tonight I'm going to speak about the need for a Royal Commission into the Federal Government response to COVID. Here are the latest reasons why, all coming to light since the last Senate sitting. Pfizer fake scene and malignant lymphomas. An article published in the journal Frontiers in, a, of an, in Oncology on May asked if the emergence of malignant lymphoma, commonly called turbo cancer, was an adverse event caused by the COVID vaccine, the COVID injection. Researchers injected 14 mice with saline and 14 with the Pfizer COVID product. All the mice given this saline remained healthy. The mice injected with Pfizer appeared healthy. However, one died suddenly two days after the booster was, dose was administered. An autopsy revealed, quote, B-cell lymphoblastic lymphoma following the intravenous high-dose mRNA COVID-19 vaccination at age 14 weeks. Okay, this is a, a constant reoccurring point. We're in their own data. It shows you exactly what's happening right now. And all they do is just go, oh, well, here's the reasoning for why we think that doesn't apply. Oh, well, they had a something X, Y, and Z. So we'll, we'll just kick that out of the study and pretend it didn't happen. Or just ignore it. Like with Pfizer and Moderna's phase three trials. We'll just lie about the outcome. Don't, let's, do not misunderstand. The phase three trial has been reevaluated by peer-reviewed scientists in the peer-reviewed process and the scientists conducting the study. And I found this is correct. 36% increased risk of serious adverse events with the Pfizer injection versus not even taking it. That has not been retracted and is the standing study in regard to their, their information. There's nothing after that in regard to the phase three information. And they just don't care. The point he's saying is that the, even the mice studies, it shows that, what, that I forget the amount of total, but if it's one out of eight or one out of a small amount, that's incredible. We know this is happening. The, the autopsy further found, quote, diffuse malignant infiltration of multiple organs, heart, lung, liver, kidney, and spleen by lymphoid neoplasm. And here, and Dell Bigtree is going to have a point I'll play in a minute about this, that I agree and don't agree with this. It's partly correct in my opinion. But the idea being, it looks like our stream is struggling. Let me know in the chat if you guys can still hear me. The, it, 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 the point is ultimately that, that these, the way some of these people think, if they're at all honest and just stupid or blind to it for any number of reasons, they don't believe what he just said is possible from this because they trust the CDC or whatever they're listening to, right? So when they find that, they go, well, because that can't be the vaccine, what, what must it be then? So let's figure it out. So if you start an investigation boxing out a possibility, well, then you're going to figure, you're going to assume it's something else. And that's all that keeps happening. And I think there is a factor of that, the people that actually still think that they're doing the right thing. I don't know how proud, that's not like that's an excuse. If you don't see, if you're not seeing it now, you should not be in that position. 
End of quote. How many more of these studies showing fatal outcomes from the COVID products are needed before this government accepts our 30,000 excess deaths in the last 12 months are in part caused by these injections? Second point. One in 35 recipients of a Moderna COVID booster experienced myocarditis. One in 35. According to the TGA, myocarditis is a very rare adverse outcome of the COVID injections, occurring at the rate of one in 33,000. A gold standard peer-reviewed paper studied by leading cardiologists at the Basel Hospital University in Switzerland has found the rate of myocarditis serious enough to place the patient under restricted activity was not one in 33,000, but one in 35. Not one in 35,000, one in 35. That's more than a thousand percent increase. I mean, and that's, this is, what, what, the point that bothers me is it's not even, that's not even engaged with, right? When you come to these mainstream settings and these hearings, like they'll bring it up and they just go, well, I'm not sure what you're pointing to. And well, our study says otherwise. And we just, just skip right over it. Well, what are we talking about here? It's peer reviewed, right? The evidence is clear. It's double. You guys can look at the information. Just because you point back at your original study or pretend that, well, it was approved, so therefore they agree that it's okay. Well, that's not what we're asking. We also know the government's corrupt, so stop saying that. They're with you on this, right? We get that. The point is that the average, the information that we can see both in your original study and what we're looking at with new peer-reviewed science proves that you lied. And that's why I think they're acting the way that they are, because they know that too. 44 of the 777 patients Participants were found with cardiac troponin markers in their blood levels that showed their hearts were damaged and that damage could not have resulted from any other factor but the Pfizer injection. Those same patients demonstrated reduced antibodies against viral and bacterial infections as against an unvaccinated cohort. Average age of the subjects was only 37. Don't miss that, by the way. That's an important point that I've been saying from the beginning. Right. With the clips that we show you where it actually removes your antibodies. Remember that? <laughs> Remember that? All the things that we exposed and proved to you in 2020 and 2021 that are barely breaking through today. The point is that he said that they, the people compared to an unvaccinated person, because don't, don't forget, multiple peer reviewed studies found that unvaccinated people in the beginning of all this already somehow magically get antibodies to whatever was going on. So it either shows you that it wasn't what we were told and was already there, it was a flu or something else, or that it was circulating beforehand. Either way, most people, a majority of adults, I'll show you after this clip, already had pre-existing antibodies. So what happened is you gave them all these shots, which both destroyed their immune system and guess what? Actually removed antibodies from your blood. So when you compared them, guess what? They had less antibodies than the unvaccinated. That's what he just said. And the data shows this, but nobody cares. Yes. This is an attack where a heart, this is an age where a heart attack is far from their mind. It's an age where someone would get the, the injection and then go about their life, including exercising. And in so doing, risk serious heart complications or even being another died suddenly statistic. Safe and effective was two lies. Third, hospital deaths from respiratory failure increased after the COVID products were at 90%. This is data from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare on the ECMO protocol. ECMO was a controversial and experimental intensive care treatment for COVID because protocols dictated that GPs were not allowed to treat patients in the community with antibodies. Not allowed. Instead, they were told to go home without treatment until they could not breathe. Instead of receiving antibiotics in the community, as they should have, they got sicker and sicker and developed pneumonia. The same thing happened with my dad, remember? He now, luckily enough, he didn't get worse, and he wasn't forced on a ventilator or anything like that because it didn't get worse. But the point was, he, came, he went in, they said, you got COVID. 
whether that's a, fa- a test or, you know, whatever, false positive, whatever. And he goes, okay, what do I do? And he was like, go home. If you get sick, if you get worse, come back. How is that possibly the level of Western medicine, right? I mean, it, it shows you the reality. Oh yeah, go home. And if you get real bad and sick, come back and we'll help you die, right? Or however you want to look at that. The point is, why would there not be like, oh, take vitamin D. Here's some treatments you can have. I mean, even they argued there were some other treatments. Why didn't they tell anybody that? Every single aspect of this shows that there's very much something wrong. Then they were put on ECMO. Then some of them died. The rate of ECMO protocol use rose from 12,000 in 2020 and 2021 to 18,000 in 2022, despite a 90% COVID injection rate. Many of those cases resulted in death. Death. Add to this the growing list of data showing that COVID products did more harm than good. Peer-reviewed papers showing that. Net harm. Fourth item, plasmid gate. The vaccines may be contaminated. Leading virologists have tested the contents of the Pfizer fake scenes and found they did not meet the standards set out by the FDA for contaminants. Did he just say fake zines? I feel like he said, because he already called it an injection. I feel like he said fake zines right there. But either way, the point is that he's, we haven't gone into this very deep, actually. There's been so many things going on. Jakey Leaks has been breaking this down. Uh, was it Josh Gaslow and a few other really important people you should follow have been breaking down the, the DNA contamination? Oh, it was a... Uh, I'm forgetting. I don't want to, I'm sorry if I forgot your names out there who was involved. There's a lot of great people out there that have been breaking that down. Oh, oh, it was uh, uh, um, Kevin McKernan. Not, you know, the, not for not the one that you guys, anyway, the one that's in, the good one. <laughs> the point is, there's another one that's a close name. I think it's McCarran, but Kevin McKernan is doing excellent work. The point is that he has shown that there's DNA contamination and it's repeatedly been verified by other independent work and showing, and, and it's, it's pretty incredible. Like all, and he'll show you, he'll say it right here. Also encapsulated in the lipid nanoparticles. Right, so this is a really important point that they don't care about, just like all the rest of it. COVID vaccines continue, contains mRNA strands, which are grown in a vat using a derivative of E. coli as the base solution. Contaminants from that process are removed, and then the remaining DNA strands are encased in a protein to protect the strand called a lipid nanoparticle. It is impossible to completely remove contaminants, so the FDA and Australia have set a maximum standard of safe for safety of 10 nanograms per dose. Now understand right there, that's right there is something that they won't want you to really understand. What that means is that it's, there is DNA that is contaminated, but they'll argue only so much is okay. You know, that, oh, that's under the level that we argue is okay. Okay, what do you mean? What, what level is okay? If there's any of it, that means it's potentially able to, to do something to your body. They know that. And now the point is it's much, much, much higher than they even argue was there. Either way, what Kevin and others are showing is that this is obviously potentially altering your DNA. Your, you know, everything, of course, with everything else, with this gene therapy product that's seemingly designed to do so. It's really concerning. Samples tested had contamination of 330 nanograms per dose, wow. 33 times above safe levels. As if Even worse, some of that contaminant was encased in lipid nanoparticles protecting the E. coli-derived genetic material and introducing that into subjects, into people. Right. We don't know the side effects resulting from this genetic material being taken up by the body. Now, think about that. Is The point is, you know, we have a whole body of side effects that we are clearly associating with the injection and should be. But my point is, there, the, the, what we've already shown with the way this thing's working and how many different aspects are clearly untested, and it, it's wild that 
this that's why we're seeing such a wide body of side effects, maybe by design. So it's hard to even associate it with anything. But with neurological side effects, heart attacks, you know, Bell's palsy type things. We see prions disease, Alzheimer's. I mean, and all of these have shown peer reviewed studies relating this to the injection. And because there's so many moving parts to this that are causing all sorts of things to go out of control, not to mention the fact that it dysregulates your immune system, which leads to any number of other problems that can show themselves differently. And that's why, oh, well, we don't know for sure, which means then we're going to ignore it, which is what's happening right now. And that is malfeasance, deliberate ignorance to maintain the, the safe and effective lie. Also take note of how many people are not there and how the two people that are there are looking at their phones. Fantastic. Because they care so much about the people, right? Scottish data shows a clear correlation between COVID injections and neonatal deaths. Data from Scotland shows a clear correlation between the rate of COVID injection in mothers and the rate of neonatal deaths nine months later. Deaths rose in line with vaccination rates and then fell once the booster rate fell. One correlation can be significant, but a correlation between both the increase in injections and then the decrease in injections is telling. Not just telling, guys. I mean, look, correlation is not causation. But like he said, to see it on both sides, nobody who is an honest person, investigator, detective, would ignore that. That is staggeringly obvious along with everything else, and they're still ignoring it. Six excess deaths in Australia are 27% above expected levels, more than a quarter. Wow. Perhaps we do know the side effects of this malfeasance by the TGA and the Department of Health. The Australian Bureau of Statistics provisional mortality figures to April 2023 show mortality is running 12.3% above the expected level. But wait, there's more. When I asked the Australian Bureau of Statistics about this data and sent estimates, the ABS were very clear in saying this data only shows 85% of the deaths. It's provisional. It is entirely correct to add that to the provisional mortality figure, meaning excess mortality in Australia in April this year was 27% above where it has been since the COVID injection, about where it has been since the COVID injection started. Right. Aren't they supposed to help everybody? Like you can't just keep blaming, especially and remember those numbers are shown to be not COVID. And yet we just go, we're baffled, but keep giving the shots though. Cause you know, until we figure it out, keep giving the thing that a lot of people think it is because that sounds safe, right? Like, even if they don't think that's the case to be real about the fact that they haven't proven that it's not. And yet they keep giving it nowhere in history. Has that been perceived as safety? Around 30,000 more Australians have died in the last 12 months than we're expected to die. 30,000. And yet this body count is being ignored by our health authorities, by our parliament, and by our media. Mm -hmm. Seventh, Professor Angus Dalgleish was, has called for the COVID injections to be suspended. Highly respected veteran consulting oncologist, Professor Angus Dalgleish, has called for the immediate suspension of COVID vaccines because of the high rate of adverse events. The professor went on to say, quote, I have no doubt that the vaccines are associated with the current increase in cancers that are being witnessed around the world. Wow. And that, see, that's the right there, the DNA contamination, the SV40 overlap from previous injections. And that, that's all what this is all about. George Webb mentioned that a bit actually as well and argued that there's a way, I think it was, it was P53, if I remember correctly, but the point was that they're, they're, it's affecting specifically something that if removed causes your body to explode with cancers and all different things. That was his opinion, but I, I agree with that. I think we're seeing that play out right now, very clearly. They suppress the innate and T-cell system, making your body much weaker at defending itself from new viruses. 
This also has the additional effect of disturbing T-cell surveillance of dormant cancers. The mRNA of the spike protein, quote, binds to genes that normally control cancer. Continuing the quote, it is high time that patients and the medical profession rose against the dreadful imposition of what was essentially a mandatory vaccine with no informed consent. They're the professor's words. One nation could not agree more. We agree, agree entirely. It's time, it's time for a Royal Commission. I call on the Prime Minister to call the COVID Royal Commission today. Right. Now, what's really important as well to remember, think of it like Dr. Peter McCullough. Right, the most cited cardiologist in the country, or the world for that matter, if I remember correctly, but my, maybe just the country, I forget. But a very, 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 very prominent, you know, well-respected, you know, at least before this, he's still well-respected. Anybody that's honest, these day people that are calling him a conspiracy theorist, and it's just ridiculous. The point is, before this, very highly respected by everybody. Now only honest people. <laughs> but the point is over here and everywhere else, Israel, you got, it's, it's almost interesting how now you can see almost all of the, most respected people in their fields breaking out and going, okay, there's a problem. But then they just go, oh, well, now he's a conspiracy theorist. It's interesting how now we're looking back and it's like, okay, wait a minute. Now, the experts, whatever you're calling that, seem to be a dwindling number of people that aren't that educated and aren't the, aren't the leading people in the field. So how does that make sense when you really break that down? Now, what I want to add before we go forward is this. Discussing the point about the, the previous antibodies, right? Let's not forget. Again, I was screaming about this and I think this, let's see where this one was from. 2020, right? So July 2020 is when this came out. That was when I first made this point. This one was in 2021, where I added to it. it was like, oh my gosh, it's even more clear. So realize that in 2020, the study came out. And what they did here is they tested, it says SARS-CoV-2 specific T-cell immunity in cases of COVID-19 and SARS and uninfected controls. So they were testing that. And in the study, in the process of it, we found out that the uninfected controls, weirdly, all had, mostly had antibodies. So they, they were meant to be people that had nothing so they can compare it, right? But turns out they, all, they had antibodies. They had T-cell immunity. How does that make sense? Well, in the article, or in the study, they argue it could be from SARS, a common cold, or that they were infected previously, right? But here's where it gets even more important. And that matters, right? So they, they forced injections on all these people, even though this peer-reviewed study in 2020 was like, well, they all had antibodies. So why do you want to force them out and give them artificial antibodies? It's obviously a problem. This came out in March of 2021, also ignored by the Tesla science crowd. A majority, that's crazy, a majority of uninfected adults show pre-existing antibody activity. Same points they're making here. What they're saying is before COVID-19, before injections, a majority of uninfected people, well, technically not before COVID, but in, before injections, people that were, but weren't infected by COVID, had antibodies. How do you explain that? Unless it's just the flu or something that was already there before. Either way, it proves that people weren't dying all over the place. So it's not that dangerous, which we already know based on the ionized group. Less than the flu for 94% of the population long before we got here. That's pretty incredible to me. Now here is Senator Rennick arguing the same thing. Ultimately laying out some really important points. A little bit of overlap, but they need a royal commission. It's really important. Acting uh, Deputy President, uh, I too support this motion uh, and believe that we need a Royal Commission into COVID. Uh, I'd also like a Senate inquiry into uh, COVID as well. Uh, but anyway, I'll take whatever I can get at this stage uh, because there are a number of issues that need to be addressed in this. And first of all is the origins of COVID itself. Uh, we had Anthony Fauci come out uh, the day before Trump's inauguration 
and said that there would be a, uh, an outbreak, a surprise outbreak throughout Trump's term. Uh, this same person then uh, colluded uh, with none other than some Australians, uh, one Ed Holmes from Sydney University, uh, with the view to actually cover up uh, the origins of the coronavirus. So we need to look at that as well, whether or not coronavirus was deliberately made. Was there a deliberate cover-up? Uh, we then need to look at the diagnostic tool, the PCR testing. Uh, we need to determine which part of the COVID sequence was actually used to indicate a positive return. Uh, there's 29,000 proteins in the coronavirus. Uh, 20 29 proteins, 29,000 nucleotides. We need to know the length of the nucleotides uh, and that sequence uh, to, that was used in the PCR test to determine uh, whether or not COVID was positive. We also need to look at why the cycle threshold was set to 40, not 28. Uh, just think about how many of these points that we've been screaming about, not just you, but the independent media, right? That's, that is wildly important, and we, that's something they just, just skipped right over. Right? Remember how long we've been talking about that? That this set to 40 cycle threshold? Garrett and what Scoglio PhD argued that that was 95% false positive. That was his opinion. But you can prove that then immediately after with breakthrough cases, they went to 28. Anybody honest looking back on this is going to go, yeah, that's wildly dishonest. It's obvious, guys. And we called it out in real time. We being the independent media, guys. In fact, I, don't, I wasn't the first one to do that. I was looking at other independent media. I say, well, that's a good point. Right. This is important. And yet it's been three plus years and we're still debating this. We also then need to look at what World Health Organization told uh, national health authorities to code everything right. uh, that came back with a positive, every death that came back with a positive COVID test to actually COVID and not some other form of disease. So, for example, people could have had comorbidities and were dying from other comorbidities. But the World Health Organization said that you have to actually put that to COVID wildly unprecedented right it would never before this and then when they did it well they said well it's for your safety just in case well that doesn't make any sense all it did in conjunction with the cycle threshold and false pcr testing was explode the numbers which we now know because we can look back and see the data being reevaluated and we were lied to uh which obviously would have bumped up the uh, number of covid deaths uh we also need to look at the role of the media uh, and in particular, uh, the way they've ramped up the fear-mongering in, in regards to COVID. We need to look at the censorship that was involved with COVID. Anyone that questioned the narrative of COVID was censored. Uh, that's not the way science is conducted. Uh, science should always be open to scrutiny. So we need to look at the censorship there. We need to look at the role the state premiers played with their daily press conferences. Who can remember the Queensland Premier with her classic statement, there's COVID in the sewerage, be scared everybody. That sort of insanity needs to stop and cannot be allowed to ever happen again. Uh, we need to consider why we bought 300 ma uh, million vaccines, 12 doses for every man, woman and child in this country, when at the same time we were told that uh, two doses were enough. We dropped over $8 billion on these vaccines. We could have spent bought 75 million, spent 2 billion and saved 6 billion for frontline services, including maternity wards in my hometown of Chinchilla. I mean, like, how do you really try to explain that now? Right? Because realize, there's only one or two ways to look at this. Either they were forced to buy gigantically more than they ever could have used because Pfizer could strong arm them or they wouldn't have gotten any, or they were screaming, don't worry, you only need one shot. Oh, only maybe two when they knew well that they were planning a hell of a lot more. I think it's probably the latter or both really. But remember that you saw examples in the UK or I think it was the UK where they had like five slots already on these cars. They knew that there was going to be more shots. 
And even then they came out in some beat, like in, in, I think it was Australia. They kind of went, well, you know, yeah, it's going to be repeated boosters. And even then they were on other parts of the world going fake news. No, it's only one. They knew guys. It was all transparent. They bought what, what do you say? I forget the number he just said. It was 12 doses for every man, woman, and child. 12. I mean, this is obscene. Five million spent, two billion and saved six billion for frontline services, including maternity wards in my hometown of Chinchilla. Uh, we also need to look at uh, why 10 million people caught COVID after the borders were opened up. We were told the public assessment report said COVID was approved, the vaccine was approved to stop infection. Yet 10 million people caught COVID in the year after opening up. It did not work. And we need to ask ourselves why the pharmaceutical companies got away with it. Time has expired. Thank you, uh, Senators. This being an urgency motion, it will come to a vote. No, To the contrary, no. No. I think the ayes have it. No, Division required. Order. There being 28 ayes and 29 noes, the matter is resolved in the negative. Can you believe that? So after all the information, I mean, really, he was just stating things. But the point is, everything he's saying, you can verify, which, by the way, he's already presented in these hearings. And they still vote no. They vote no to do something they promised to do. As he says here, this is despite them saying that they would hold a royal commission and saying that an inquiry should be held. When the coalition was in power, there was an ongoing Senate inquiry into COVID that Labour pushed for. Yet now that now they are in power, they don't want to analyze the government overreach. He says this just proves that Labour were more than happy to weaponize COVID to gain power and actually didn't care about the people. It's pretty sad. Now here is, um, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, another one of the senators speaking up about the same point, saying that we need to find this out. Why? Well, because we don't even know why people are dying. So they, they refuse to look into this even when they haven't even answered what's going on. Think about how irresponsible that is. Happy President. Well, we need a Royal Commission right away because people are still dying and we don't know why. Uh, that's the fundamental reason we should have this inquiry sooner rather than later. We, the, the statistics don't lie. We've, we've got, uh, uh, unfortunately, tragically, uh, deaths in this country running at levels we've never seen before outside of war. Uh, uh, deaths, or so-called excess deaths, uh, the number of deaths above which is expected, given the age structure and, and um, uh, history of, of, uh, of fatality in this country, is running at, uh, has been running at 15% and even higher uh, than, than on average. And, and worse, no one can tell us why. Uh, many of uh, myself and other colleagues uh, have asked the Department of Health in Senate estimates, and they don't have any answers uh, for why excess deaths are running at such a, a large the numbers, is, we're talking of tens of thousands of people here. I mean, imagine being in that position and just going, you know, we don't know. But let's just keep doing everything the same way until we figure it out. <laughs> I mean, it's just that we are going to get laughed at. Like, it, it, history looks back if we don't get taken over by this technocracy. That we were going to look back and say, that was wild. That was a time of pure lunacy and corruption. How, it, everything is that obvious. You don't just keep doing this when you have obscene correlation on both sides, immediate and immediate, up and down. The moment they're given, the moment they're not, it's obvious what's going on here. And all they do is go, we don't know. We don't know. Well, any detective worth their salt will go, okay, what changed, right? Well, that's the first place you start. What was the most obvious difference? Well, we gave this, this experimental, rapidly rushed, non-tested gene therapy, but that can't be it. 
It's just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's comical if it wasn't so terrible. Uh, dying unexpectedly, and, and no one has answers. Last week, last week, uh, 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 give credit to Senator Hanson and myself and other senators, uh, we put a bill into the parliament to end vaccine mandates, and last week, as an inquiry into that bill, we had representatives from Pfizer and Moderna, the uh, major vaccine manufacturers which were rolled out here in this country. We had them along to an inquiry. And, and we know now, of course, there are side effects from the vaccine, especially uh, heart issues in, in young males in particular of myocarditis and pericarditis. The most concerning thing I thought of the evidence last week was they don't have any idea right. why that is happening. They admit now it is happening. They admit that there is, are these side effects from the vaccine. Even though they lied and lied and denied and gaslit and attacked and censored and then go, OK, yeah, you're right. Don't forget, I lost my YouTube channel. And my second backup YouTube channel for that claim, you know, in 2021, when everybody was denying it and most of the independent media was scared to talk about it. Yeah, we it's very real. Always was. Vaccine. It's happening. Uh, but they don't have any understanding of why it might be happening. And so the question has to be asked here. Why is the government still advertising for people to take these products mm -hmm. when there is a serious side effect? A heart-related side effect that the government officials, everybody recognises, that's not controversial. And, we, and the manufacturers themselves have no idea why that's happening. They don't, they Think about how incredible that is. That's, that's exactly the truth. They, they said it right in front of them. Now, what's crazy, too, is think about why it's needed in general. Aren't they the ones that tell us that this is, you know, look, however you spin this, either we're out of the pandemic phase, whatever they want to pretend that means, or they've said it's over more than three times, but then now it's not. Or the fact that they're the ones that tell us that the mutated variants aren't as dangerous. Like, well, yeah, it's because Omicron's not as dangerous, and we now know that. Okay, then if any of that's even remotely true, why do you still give them a shot for it? I mean, it, it, it's just the argument that, well, we don't know. That any, they could die and get sick. They could trip on a, on a stick on the ground and kill themselves. They can get the flu tomorrow or a cold and get killed from that because anything can happen. Just because it's possible doesn't mean you need to give them something we now know is dangerous. Like, we're so far past the logic of this. They're just falling back on trust the science, follow the mantra, do what you're told. That's it. They can't have a scientific sort of pathway for why their product is causing these particular outcomes. Meanwhile, we also have massive amounts of unexplained excess deaths in this country. So that is the fundamental reason why we should have this inquiry right away. So we can try and get to the bottom of what the hell is happening, what has been done, and why, how, what can we make sure to stop people dying? Because I remember it. In, during the coronavirus, during the start of the pandemic, it was one death was too many. We right. had to lock down the country. Think about how ridiculous that is. So they, on that side of it, one death too many, we can't do that. And now we got all this happening and we're going, well, we don't know. Let's just let it keep happening until we figure it out. On the other side of it, it's like, let's shut down just in case and then we'll figure it out. Obvious dishonesty. We had to stop, stop traveling uh, to stop, stop deaths. And, and I've supported the initial response to the pandemic for that reason. Better to be safe than sorry. But now we seem to have gone past all that and tens of thousands of people are dying in an unexplained way, yet we're not even asking questions about why. Uh, there's a serious disconnect and you must... must I, think we, I think one of the reasons we're not getting this inquiry is because people, some people are afraid of what the answers might be. Yep. Some people that were responsible for the policies... Uh, of the pandemic might be a little afraid that the answers might embarrass the decisions they made. That is no good reason not to have an inquiry. It's now, here's what's interesting. 
in no way is this meant to give any kind of a pass to these people, right? But <clears throat> it could be that this is partly that the way Pfizer conducted this, knowing that they were being dishonest, using those contracts and the emergency and everything we know they did, strong arming countries, forcing them to put up their own assets as collateral. It's wild. I don't know how all of this didn't awaken everybody to it. Maybe it did. But the point is that maybe they put them in these positions. You know, not to say that they're they're obviously dishonest if they allowed any of it to happen, but, you know, maybe that they didn't realize they were doing the big thing and they found themselves in this compromised position, like an Epstein scenario, right? And now, well, now what am I going to do? Well, I, I can't say, I can't admit it was wrong now because now I'm going to go to jail. So now you've got all these politicians that are, whether they want to or not, are kind of stuck, right? Again, I'm not giving a pass because most of these people are criminals anyway. But the point is that that makes sense. We need to realize who the true culprit is here ultimately. Actually, more reason. Uh, to have an inquiry so we can make sure we do not make the mistakes again. And finally, one other reason we need to have this inquiry is because it was something that was promised. The Prime Minister promised an inquiry in his National Press Club speech last year, in January last year, before the election. And, and now, almost a year and a half on, or actually it is a year and a half on since that promise, if he's not delivering this, it's another broken promise from the Prime Minister. It's a broke, broke piece of broken trust. And I, I also recognise Senator Gallagher through you, Chair, in the Chamber. Senator Gallagher chaired an inquiry into COVID throughout the last, and she spent her time lambasting the then government. And her, her major recommendation of that inquiry, guess what it was at the end of her inquiry, was to have a royal commission into COVID. So where is that royal commission, Senator Gallagher? Your Prime Minister promised it. Let's Order. get on with it. Your time has expired. And they voted no anyway. Right. So we don't care. We promised it. We don't care about our word. We just don't want to go to jail. That's what's happening. Yeah, they just, they voted no. That's They voted no. We're not going to do it no matter what. Well, here's another one that happened before that, where they're asking directly to Moderna, seeing as how at the very least that there are provable vaccine injuries, which they've admitted to. They know that COVID, the myocarditis part of this is undeniable at this point. And he asked them, well, okay, well, since that's the case, how much have you allocated for those people? You won't be surprised by their answer. It's the Moderna plow back into helping uh people who are injured by the vaccine. Well, thank you. I was going to say um, um, we are aware that, uh, it's a, that uh, there is a, a, a sort of a, a, an indemnity for COVID-19 suppliers. Think about the way that she even handled that. Like, are you afraid? Like, clearly she was like, ah, well, you know, sort of a, uh, you know, like an indemnity. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's really telling. Like th these people are, it's just the way, and it's my opinion, obviously, but are you, you don't know what the word indemnity is or what are you looking for right there? Some looking for a way to not say that we have legal unaccountability, right? That's what that was about. I just think this is very telling. The way that they handle themselves are what corrupt and dishonest people do, in my opinion. Thank you. I was going to say, um, um, we are aware that, uh, it's a, that uh, there is a, a uh, sort of, a, sort of a, a. an indemnity for COVID-19 suppliers, uh, but indemnities are policy matter for government to decide. I can't comment. So, so I'm a wow. So government said, so it's not our fault. And it doesn't put any of its profits back into helping the victims of um, uh, injuries from the Moderna vaccine. Is that correct? So Moderna is a company that's focused on manufacturing vaccines. The matter of um, indemnity uh, in for uh, vaccine supplies is a matter for government. 
So, so you're, you're not prepared to underwrite the risk of your own vaccine? You're not prepared to actually put money where your mouth is when it comes to the safety of your vaccine? Is that correct? So just before you answer this question, uh, Senator Rennick, if that, I'll have to go to Senator Antic yeah, after this answer that's, is given. that's the last question yeah. there. Back to, back to you. Just uh, yes or no, you're not prepared to underwrite the safety of your own vaccine? We take safety of our vaccines very seriously. Uh, we have a very good pharmacovigilance process in place, in fact, a comprehensive one. However, I would only reiterate that... Um she just said they have a very comprehensive pharmacovigilance. Remember, that's where they're monitoring people that have taken it, except the guy sitting right next to her right before this said that they didn't even come prepared to tell them what the side effects were. We don't know how many adverse events there are. We don't know. We didn't bring it. We don't know. Yeah, but you do, though, and you chose not to bring that. This is dishonest at its core. Um, indemnities are a matter for policymakers. But, but what about a moral, social, social conscience of putting some of your profits back in helping victims of the vaccine? Yeah, isn't that the whole point of ESG and, and being the whole you know equity of the world and all of these people are screaming about all these things and then yeah, hypocrites. Zero? Is it zero dollars? I might just before you again, Dr. Leong, just before you answer that, I appreciate um, Well it's just that she's not answering no, I, 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 I uh, respect you asking the questions. I just want to make sure we can get to Senator Antic and keep to our our timetable. But I'll I'll um, just take that as a zero. Thank you. Right. And there is, but the best part is thanks. they're completely happy with that. <laughs> That's just a thanks, right? So they nod and they look away. Good. So as long as they don't have to say it, this is my point from before. They're happy with that. We didn't say zero. He said zero, right? That's how this game is being played. This is about legal liability right now. It's very clear to me. I think about how wild that is. So the, the, what we have to realize is this is what's happened. What the act of 1986 and now the indemnity after this, which is going to be applied going forward. I can promise you that somehow is that they, they have subsidized this entire thing. The government, this is not, these, these companies are not accountable for anything that's happening anymore. All because, well, vaccines are so important that we can't like, why don't you find a company that's willing to make them that are good enough to where they don't kill people and they can stand by it. Well, then we won't have any vaccines. Well, then that means vaccines don't work. Right. <laughs> I mean, come on, this is a ridiculous scenario. This one is really blowing my mind. Rebecca Barnett posts this. The TGA in Australia quietly grants full registration. In this, in, in comparatively to U.S. government or the U.S. process, that would be approval for Pfizer's community vaccine. Now, when I saw that, I thought, okay, well, that's probably the new one. Nope. <laughs> you would be surprised to find out that it's actually, oh, here's her whole article. You can read it for yourself on our Substack. Here's the Here's the page right from the Australian government. Now, it kind of blew my mind because I don't even know how they can make rationalize this here. This is the original one, right? Because down here, they've got the BA1 and then they've got the bivalent right there, both of which are still provisionally approved. This one's in this one for five to 11 is under evaluation. There's probably still going to pass those two, but you can see right here for the original for every single age group. Or yeah, 16 and over. Yeah, for every age group. Full registration granted July 13th. Full registration. All of them at the same time. Boom. In one sweep. Last month. So think about how crazy that is. As they're going through this process, they're like quietly going, yeah, just go ahead and give it. Go, go ahead and give it to them. We know what we're going to do. We're not going to stop anything. We're not going to carry out a royal commission. That's not going to happen. So just go ahead and give it to them. Her point, that was her whole point. Quietly. Nobody said anything about this. Right? There was no media release. They just quietly did this. Hadn't updated since September 2022. 
That is staggering to me, especially since it's the original one. What, based on the Wuhan strain? Right? Aren't you the ones telling us that that's not even relevant anymore? But you're going to approve or fully register the one that's not even... I mean, again, again, it's just there's corruption going on. I bet you this is about having on the record that this thing is under, you know, approved or fully registered for whatever happens next. Just my opinion. You guys can decide for yourself. Oh, and just so you can see it, that's the name they have listed. That's just it's just showing you this is the original one, the very the very first one, which in the United States hasn't even been used. We've lied to. Quite frankly, I'd be willing to bet you the ones they're using there are the same. That there's still the EUA versions that just argue this is approved and they just give you the other ones there's a legal sleight of hand happening there they know that now in regard to the pandemic of the injected i just wanted to follow up on this because you know how long we've been kicking this door down from 2020 in fact using their information all the way into 2021 and 2022 when they that's when they pulled everything and were like sorry you guys are conspiracy theorists and you can't look at all the data anymore because you're wrong <laughs> Yeah, that's what that showed everybody, right? Censoring our data because you don't understand. No, they're hiding everything. Scotland hid everything. West Australia hid everything. All of them hid all their information. The UK, all of it. Wittgenstein points out, Slay News points out, today, or uh, this was posted uh, uh, yesterday. The number I found is interesting. 92% of COVID deaths in 2022 were triple vaxxed. Now, this is... This is... extension or a, a further evaluation into now, which is important, right? Looking back, you can show that 20, 92% of all the deaths were triple vaccinated. That's so incredible. Now, this is a majority concept, but realize that that doesn't, the way that they can't play this game where it's like, well, if everybody vaccinated, that makes, that's, that's such a false argument. There is a point to be made about how you will have an overrepresentation because more people are vaccinated. But realize that the whole point was this is the last thing that was supposed to happen, right? Death was the one thing they're like, no, no, it'll you might be a bad series, but it'll make it it'll make it less. Pretty not for the ones that died though, right? And the point is that ninety two percent in the whole year were triple vaccinated. Not that doesn't make any sense with the point that what about anyway? The point is very clear that this is that the vaccinated people are more at risk. And the reason I know that for sure is because we were covering this the whole time and it wasn't a majority concept. Remember the whole point, the UK data, when it really got to the main point, it was when they started going, no, the majority is an illusion. And they go, started giving you the per 100,000, right? So they broke it down per 100,000. So the majority didn't play a factor anymore, right? And what did it show you? That, That what I wrote right here, the UK Fully vaxxed accounted for 92%, interesting, same number of of cases, 70% of hospitalizations, and 81% of the deaths at that time. This is February 3rd, 2022. Now, this this is important because this brings it to now. And I just want to show you, as always, demonstrating our value, how far ahead we are in this discussion and how important this is. Now, what's interesting is this guy comes in to say kind of what you would expect. Well, if 90% of the population are vaccinated, the majority of this, the point is they didn't even look. Because I wrote, well, if you had cared to even look at it before you blurted out what you think we're supposed to say, it's about the per 100,000. You can't deny this. And the majority, right? The majority was overwhelming at this point. But the per 100,000 risk, in particular with cases, which we were showing you at this point, was ridiculous. People who got injected even once were at three, four times the risk of just getting sick in the first place. It's staggering. And that's when they started to hide it all. Here's the Slay News article. Make sure you check it out. It's an important overlap. This is in, this is crazy. The data is very clear, and they just don't want you to see that. 
Now, here's the point that Dell Bigtree makes that I do think is really important. But I think I, I my I don't I would never argue that this is anybody in this position. And I'm not saying that's what he's saying either. But listen to what he says, and I want to make this point because I do think this is part of it. Doing all proper safety science. That is the why. It's not people want to make it dark. You want to make it about greed and fine. It's not. It's that they really believe this is a great product that everybody needs to take. They recognize there must be a small group of people, as would be natural, that are being injured, but we can't talk about them. In fact, when they get into a courtroom, we need to silence them. We need to call them crazy. We need to make sure that every reporter in the world never interviews them and that paper is ridiculed for even covering it because if that story is covered, we will not get everybody to take this product, and that's the only way it works. Now, this is an important point. I mean, he's, he's right in some, to some degree. And this is why it's important not to just broad stroke anybody in these positions as immediately corrupt and, all, and so on. But it's, it's an easy guess today. But there is a factor of what he just said. Now, realize there are people out there that are <clears throat> intelligent people that have made up the, their minds that anything that challenges what they're supposed to be thinking, the CDC says is the reality in one way or another without any investigation must be dismissed because there must be they're lying or if even if they're the most regard, highly regarded experts in the world oh they must have been taken by the conspiracy theorists because it's happening see see how that works and so there are people that are just kind of willfully ignoring even science is peer reviewed now going well it, oh it says that it's killing people i can't be true i'm not going to look at it there's honest intelligent people that do that i think it's a minority but his point is that there are people in these positions that actually think and this is dishonest at its core too but they've decided that well the only way these things work is if we get everyone to take them so we can't point out the anomaly, the small percentage of deaths, because that'll scare people away. So we'll pretend they're not there. So lying for their truth or, you know, whatever we keep talking about. There's a percentage of that. My opinion, though, it's a small one. I think the vast majority of people in this position at this point can see what's going on and are ignoring it to a degree, you know, because they don't want to get fired, because they're dishonest, because they're not good people, because, you know, they have children, they don't want to lose their college fund. There's a thousand reasons people are doing this. But Part of what part of it is what he said. I just think that's important to think about, right? Because and they and it doesn't mean that they're honest either, because they're still pushing things on you with a dishonest tact, dishonest tactic, tactic, tactic. <laughs> can't speak, but they still think ultimately it will be a greater good. But see, that's not that. Now that shouldn't matter today. The whole greater good. Well, a lot of eugenicists people they think that, right? You could argue the Nazis thought it was some greater good, changing the world for the better, right? Maybe or maybe not. Either way, the point is they're all wrong because ultimately you have free choice and they weren't making the world better, right? So we can see that right now. These injections are tearing the world apart. It's important to think about. Now here is another study that is absolutely destroying what's going on. A peer-reviewed study on childhood vaccines and mortality rates. Here's the quote from the conclusion. There are statistically significant positive correlations between mortality rates of developed nations and the number of early childhood vaccine doses that are routinely given. It's amazing how these peer-reviewed studies don't matter when they say things people don't like. Read it for yourself, guys. It's a peer-reviewed study, and the conclusion is undeniably clear. And this is not about COVID injections. It's about injections in general. There are statistically significant positive correlations. That doesn't mean we can prove that's what's happening, but it means that it's hard to ignore a perfect correlation between mortality rates of developed nations and how many injections they give their kids. Think about that. But of course, this is uncomfortable, so people are scared to talk about it. But as you know, we're not afraid to step into that and tell you the truth. I'm sure this will break through in a couple of years when some people find the courage. Here 
is another point that people don't like to talk about that I think is one of the most important for a lot of reasons. One, because I care about animals, but also because I think there's a way that this could get to you through this as well. If we believe shedding concepts, if we believe the idea of mRNA and all this, there's a lot of ways or even self-spreading vaccines. All of these are real topics that they don't want people, the average people to understand. I've played this before. This is not a new video. This is a veterinarian speaking about the unnecessary harms inflicted on animals. And they know this. And I've been saying this for so long. They're not tested properly, even worse than, than human vaccines, because they know most people don't even care, which is breaks my heart, or that they don't realize that the industry doesn't care. Oh, it's just dogs. Who cares, right? Oh, I care. Everybody should. The pets dying out there every day. When we sat at this table, five, six pets died in the United States from a rabies vaccine they didn't need. podcast says there are technically no rules as to how many times you can vaccinate pets for the same disease. Vets worldwide are now seeing terrible reactions due to over-vaccinating, right? Where they go, oh, you got to come back and get it every six months or every year. That's, I mean, even from the concept of how the technology works, that is not how this is supposed to work. But they're maximizing their profit, aren't they? And don't forget, as plenty of other people already told us, doctors, scientists, that they've already worked this into, I believe it was in Bakhti that said this, into the animal vaccines. A year, years ago, in the middle of all this. And that's why they're, now they're rolling these back. Well, they've got a profit motive already working, pumping these out in animals. That's part of it. We talked about pigs in 2018. They're doing cattle right now. Dogs, I think that's already been happening. Thank God that I didn't do these. Anybody can walk in here, sit down and say whatever they want. But I gave you science. Right. Peer-reviewed against what people say. Experts say, and then here's the scientific research from the experts that know what they're talking about. All animals get the same dose of vaccines regardless of their size. That's true. A five-pound cat will get the same amount as a hundred-pound dog. Disgusting. I said to the state board, if I had to kill an animal that law, would I have to do it? They said yes. It's like children. You know, these are uh, these are vulnerable animals that, that that believe you're keeping them safe. Research shows a full dose is dangerous and potentially lethal. But who cares what the science says, right? Trust the science. One rabies vaccine is good for life. All I, this is unnecessary. If that dog had a tiger check, it would not need a vaccination. So this is the real problem here. I had put upstairs in the public health department 45 articles that show vaccines are dose dependent. Tigers indicate immunity. It's been proven. Okay, but who's the we? Who's the we? The researchers. The researchers. These are the researchers. They're the ones who do the research. Okay, I spent a couple No matter how hard these vets push for change to save lives, they are taunted and laughed at by some of these of the officials. We are in the pharmaceutical. And I've spent a career being a veterinarian yeah, watching animals die. I, I think I have the part, but I completely don't agree with what you're saying. <laughs> Do you know of any studies that the vaccine can sometimes create other health concerns for animals? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. You get tumors at the injection sites. You get autoimmune diseases that start later in life, but you get the immediate reactions. Some don't. Those in the podcast, they're looking at their phones, not paying attention, right? Because they care. Dogs die immediately of anaphylaxis. Others get just serum sickness and they vomit, maybe hide under the bed for a day or two. But if I lower my dose, right, 
to protect the animal, then I'm in trouble. So I have to do what the manufacturer says, and like the State Board of Connecticut said, if I have to kill my pet, I have to kill my pet. It's the law. Well, guess what? I have a Hippocratic oath that is greater than any law that's passed in the state of Connecticut that would make me kill my patient. I won't do it. God, it makes me so sad. So there's also this going on where they're pushing it for other things too, right? RSV, ferritin nanoparticle flu injections for universal shots, multi-trivalent, bivalent, quadvalent shots for RSV, for flu, for RSV flu and COVID, all this stuff, all mRNA, all pumping at you in real time. Because it all worked, right? Because the whole thing worked, even though Fauci wrote an entire article saying this doesn't work. But yeah, let's let's keep going though, right? Association of American Association of American Physicians and Surgeons wrote antibody resistant mutations have already been documented within the RSVF protein after prophylactic administration of Nursev Nursevimab, the name of the whatever they pronounce that. Cases of uh, this this resistant RSV strains have been documented as early as 2010. Right, so this has already been ongoing, but yet they've been giving this nonetheless as it's happening. And then suddenly, guess what? Oh, for so, for so you guys know, we're talking about monoclonal antibodies. They love to conflate this with vaccination today. It's not a long-acting monoclonal antibody developed by AstraZeneca and Sanofi. Big surprise. So this is causing more things. Just like the other COVID injections we're talking about, they're causing mutations and strains. And yeah, but they don't want to talk about that. Well, guess what? Now the CDC recommends a new one. Now they're talking about, where was the name? I'm just going to skip past the little video. The guy's coming on talking about this for calling it an injection the entire time. Recommends a new one against uh, the respiratory virus. And here is the CDC stepping in going, now we recommend this one, which is the one they were talking about in the video. Well, as Mary Talley Bowden points out, well, this, this uh, Bay Fortis is a monoclonal antibody, not a vaccine, and it costs... $495 per shot. We've never injected a large cohort of infants with monoclonal antibodies. Will it drive RSV to mutate? Well, the other one did. They didn't care. RSV mortality risk is in healthy full-term infants is too low to justify the unknowns. What they're doing, though, is because of all the stuff the COVID injections did. Now, seemingly adults are getting RSV. So they're going, oh my God, it's a problem. Well, you just put out antibody or monoclonal antibodies over the last decade that are causing all these problems. Then you put out things that explode people's immune systems and boom, what do you know? Suddenly, there's a new RSV problem. Well, instead of keeping using, they, you, you get where this is going. They just dump the new thing and now they're pushing the next one. Oh, and you could tell she cares, right? This is the new CDC director. She cares. She's normal, just like you. The point is that they're pushing this on children that don't need it, even though they don't have enough testing to show that it's safe. What's new? It makes me sick. This one is the one we're talking about here. I'll play the video for you, and then I'll play something from her that will blow your mind. We'll just play the all opening of this, actually. He is recommending a new RSV vaccination starting this fall that would help protect all infants under eight months, as well as some older children. The new immunization has been shown to reduce the risk of both. It's not a vaccine or an immunization. It's monoclonal antibodies. Hospitalizations and health care visits for RSV in infants by about 80 percent. Right the CDC recommends the vaccination for all infants younger than eight months born during or right there entering their first rsv season typically fall through spring for children ages i think the whole point is just to kind of muddy and water down the word vaccine obviously because they don't want it to be like there's a there's a definition that doesn't apply 
Neither is gene therapy, but they want this to be broadened out. So I guess anything they can inject into you with a syringe. That's what it seems like. Eight to 19 months, a dose is recommended in their second season. So here is her talking about it. Called probably the person I called oh, most. Sorry. Oh, you know what? I didn't. That's right. I chose not to play this because it's just ridiculous. But the point is, they're now they're going to the next one, right? Even though they haven't tested this properly, and even though we already saw the previous problem, it's just one thing to the next. Jumping from stone to stone without even realizing where your feet are, right? That that's these, that's how these people work. Well, this is the most incredible part, and I've been saying this from the very beginning. That's that's quite frankly why I think people like this aren't even real in the sense of how you might think. If you think that my this is my opinion, but. This person in this position, like a like a Walensky, what do we see from her? They're puppets, guys. They are I, like I'm not going to say they don't know to some degree what they're talking about. I'm sure they got some kind of a degree, but I would argue that they're not very. Just they have no discernment, or don't care. These are the kind of people they put in front of you because they're pliable and they'll do what they're told. That's what I think. Because here's what she had to say. Now you tell me this sounds like somebody who is in charge and somebody knows they're talking about and somebody who is looking at the actual research and science as opposed to just asking, what are you guys all doing? Are we locking down? Okay, let's lock down then. That's what this is. So I would call, probably the person I called most was the Secretary of Health and Human Services in Massachusetts. She worked for a Republican governor just to, um, but, you know, when she was like, are you... Identity politics are more important than anything these people, clearly. Are you going to let them have professional um, uh, football? And I was like, nope. And she's like, okay, neither are we, neither are we. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Yeah, we're talking about people's lives, you know, livelihoods, jobs, entire economies. But, you know, so funny. Were you going to do it too? Okay, high five. Let's all lock down people's livelihoods. This is disgusting. Not only is it disgusting, it shows you who these people are sitting in their ivory towers laughing down at you about what they do with the peons. Oh, you're going to you're gonna take away football? Okay, let's take away football. That's cool. I can't believe this. You think she's in charge? <laughs> I mean, first of all, let's call HHS. What do you think? Okay. Now, look, I mean, we, could, we could argue that there's probably more to a process here, and this is just kind of an interview question answer. But the bottom line is, this is how this stuff works. There's no, this isn't about her independently doing her job and finding out, you know, she, you know, if if she did what they didn't want her to do, she'd probably get removed or they would do something else. The point is that it's obvious that this is not about the science because the evidence showed then, and it does now, as I've been saying the whole time, and as they're now being forced to admit that they didn't have anything to back that up. I said that the moment this started. Um, so, uh, you know, it was like conversations like that. So, or, or I'd be like, so when are you going to think about lightening up a mess? They're like, so you're like next Monday. I'm like, okay, next Monday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause science, right? <laughs> Joan said, so we're doing Monday. It's just, this is just, it's insulting to your intelligence guys. These people are not real. <laughs> Whatever you think that means. I don't, I'm not literally saying that. I'm just saying like, this is, if you really think this is the person who's making large decisions for you, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but my gut tells me that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And as Steve Kurtz says, this is how science works. This is why you want to avoid listening to any public health official. Kevin Bass, PhD, points out Mandy Cohen, current CDC director, talking and laughing about how she made policy decisions during COVID. Her approach? She would ask friends, well, what do you plan to do? And they would casually agree on some policy on the phone and then do that. (laughs) I mean, God dang it, that's crazy. You know, and now they're just casually banning religious exemptions for people in Connecticut. You know, because no big deal. Because rights and informed consent 
you know, when we respect your religious choices, well, not anymore. Was it was COVID? Because danger? Because we're in a pandemic? Well, no, just because now, because that's the world they're building. You can't say no to the things we want to put in your arm or your children's arm, because this is just about kids. Banning religious vaccine exemptions for children in Connecticut. Hashtag freedom. It's incredible. Well, let's talk for a minute about the idea of gain of function of disease X and where this all seems to be going. I think this is really important, actually. Now, here's here's an interesting clip that Kanoa the Great pointed out about uh, Robert Malone discussing something that I'm not sure how to take. Speaking with Sean Spicer, you know, the freedom fighters out there breaking the news to you right from the inside circle, right? Classic. But here is something I find important. Now, I'm going to play it first and I'll comment because I'm not sure how to take this. I feel like there's some things that you guys might catch as well. Was that we had a breach of security in our intelligence community. Our eyes got eliminated. And I, I used to speculate about this, but I've now heard internal confirmation that what happened was that there was a quid pro quo set up basically out of desperation. And we transferred technology into Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the quid pro quo was to allow a limited number of human assets to have visibility about what was going on there. Okay, okay so quid pro, that means they agreed. The U.S. government agreement, and, and the argument already is essentially that, well, we did it because we had to. I don't like that. In, any idea where it's like, well, they maybe have made a wrong choice, but they did it for your best interest. I don't believe that. So that makes me very concerned, very suspicious about where this is going. But ultimately... The idea is that, well, we lost our eyes somehow, even though there's personnel working in the Wuhan lab, because that makes sense, because that's the truth, by the way. There were U.S. personnel working there well past what happened. The point, though, is that they lost it, apparently, somehow. And so we gave them technology. We gave them money, I guess, in hopes that we could see what they were doing. I'll let it play out. I don't, that does not, that makes sense for somebody trying to hide the reality, I would argue. Okay. So the, the logic is we're in, a, we're in a bad situation. We know that these guys are doing stuff. We want to know what they're doing because we want to be in a position we can develop countermeasures for that. See, because that's what it's about. We want to be able to make countermeasures to stop what the bad guys are doing. How about you are the bad guys? How about you're the ones doing that and you're not making countermeasures, you're making weapons and maybe countermeasures to things they're doing because that's probably happening too. But you're making weapons. That's not, um, that's not, this is, I see right there. I can't get on board with that. Even if this is all true, the framing of this puts them as the God, the, the forlorn hero that does the bad thing to save everybody. That's ridiculous. At the same time, as even Kanoa points out, you're giving them money and technology to do the thing they do. You can't say you're not guilty of what happens next. And so we want to do anything we can to get intelligence. And we've now lost all of our eyes. What are we going to do? Okay. Well, um, we strike a deal. The deal appears to have been that there was technology transfer associated with Ralph Barrick uh -huh. and that whole program involving a modern advanced recombinant virology and recombinant DNA technology and, uh, and known research having to do specifically with about coronaviruses. Because if you go back in the literature, Coronaviruses have been identified as one of the leading candidate agents for biowarfare for a very long time. So we knew that China was doing stuff. So, so you know that and you give China the research to make it a weapon? I mean, how do you even make sense of that? Like, I mean, look, 
it's almost that crazy that maybe it's real. I mean, think about how wild that is. But I argue that at this point, they're so desperate. And I'm not saying even necessarily Malone. I'm not sure of my opinion at this point. But ultimately, the U.S. government, that they're so desperate, as Pfizer as well, the rest of them, they, we see through what's happening. That they, I would argue they'd be willing to give you that. To be like, well, yes, we have some accountability, but as long as they can frame themselves as the one trying to do right and China as the one that did all the wrong. I just don't know how anybody can. The evidence doesn't back that up. Didn't know what they were doing. We wanted to have eyes and we engaged in a quid pro quo that involved both funding transfer and technology transfer. And Tony Fauci knew all about it. And so did the rest of the government. But here's my point, though. How this is this is like the FBI with terrorism, right? You can't pretend if you give them the bomb and the gun and you drive them there and you force them and you push them into it, you can't pretend like he's a terrorist, right? Now, I'm not saying that's what happened here. China is just as culpable, in my opinion. But you, the way this is being framed, I mean, I'll, I'll, I've said that many times, but I think this is pretty obvious. As so, did so USAID so technology transfer and Tony Fauci knew all about it. As so, did so USAID. So we give them a bunch of technology. We give them tech and money. And money. They develop all this, but then what? And then we're supposed to be able to see the results. Right. Okay, and so how does it play out? <laughs> great, great journalism, Spicer. Uh, it plays out that it, it appears, so this is speculation, this is the chain of events as I see it, okay? Right. There was technology transferred from EcoHealth Alliance and Ralph Barrick having to do with this furin cleavage site, the specific mutations, the engineering of the virus, and potentially passaging in a humanized mouse strain, etc., that gave rise to a cluster of coronaviruses that were kept banked. Um, and by the way, they have a massive bank of other coronaviruses that, that is there and untapped. We don't even know what the contents are. Which I guarantee the U.S. government does too. That they've been collecting in China for years and years and years. But they came up with a, a portfolio of recombinant viruses and they were testing those recombinant viruses. So they were they were doing something. Somebody got infected. Yeah, but here's the point, though. If what he just described includes the U.S. government. That's clear by what he's saying. Like, this is pre-COVID, right? So they gave him money, technology, and they're working there. You can prove that. That's what we said from the very beginning. This was always an overlap, right? The U.S. government, North Carolina University, the Institute of Virology, USAID. I mean, clearly. It's, <laughs> so how do you un decouple their accountability from that? And the current timeline suggests that this happened in November, and the CCP came in and basically cleaned out the records and threw away the samples and did everything they could to make it so that you could never trace what had happened. Right. Well, what's interesting is so if, if somebody randomly got sick, I mean, that's possible, right? They got sick. And then that's what a lot of people thought in the beginning, right? They said they get leaked out, world military games. It all lines up with early thoughts on this. But would China sweep in and hide? Of course they would. And my point, though, is that that would be in conjunction with the U.S. government, which is kind of where I've always thought this makes the most sense. But you guys can decide for yourself. Quite frankly, that answer makes me more suspicious of him than ever. I'll be just being real. I don't know. He's also done some good in this too, quite a bit, pointing things out early. But overall, that's a really concerning point that really seems to, you know, like we've already seen them, a lot of these certain people kind of continue to float that, you know, mRNA technology is still, you know, usable and good and we should keep leaning into it, which I'm not going to say I disagree with. I don't know because I don't, right now it seems like it's not true based on what we can see.
but that could be because the dishonest people are the ones using it. But either way, I don't see any reason that anybody honest and logical would even, I I want to declare like a 10 year moratorium on any of this stuff until we can figure it all out. Because that's how it is right now. These people are desperate and disgusting and corrupt. And if we allow this to go forward, the same thing's going to happen. You didn't remove everybody involved. That's quite obvious. So how can we pretend that we can go forward using the same technology, even if there's a positive benefit to it? We're talking manipulation here on a massive scale. Now, let's not forget, he mentions Ralph Barrick, North Carolina University of Chapel Hill. This is one point that I think we aren't talking about enough. How is it in, how in the world can we have myocarditis being the most prominent side effect and we can prove that the U.S. government in China was funding specifically coronavirus-induced myocarditis? It's almost too stupid to, I mean, that's probably why it doesn't get read because we're like, what? That can't be real. It's real on rabbits in the 90s, all the way till late 90s. And then they want to try to make it a self-spreading vaccine in the caves with the bats. It's all on the record. I've gone over all of this. Maybe it'll break through in a couple of years when some of these larger people talk about it is how this seems to go. Nonetheless, I wrote this on August 31st, 2022. Here was the, was the, uh, the video. And I wanted that, that was Kanoa the Great pointing out. USAID or USAID as I call it. State uh, CIA, Dazak, Peter Dazak, right, who blocked me recently. State Department and DOD were part of this tech transfer. They can't throw Fauci under the bus because they would be next, right? I, I agree with that. So you have to understand that there's no way to decouple these guys. You can't pretend this is just Fauci in China because there's so many more moving parts than that. Donald Trump's Operation Warp Speed, which I backed the, by the way, just found out. I, didn't, I can't believe I didn't know this. I guess Pfizer and Biotech called their version Project Lightspeed. And we're pretending like they didn't go fast and skip all these steps. Project Lightspeed, Operation Warp Speed. They think we're so stupid. The point is that you can clearly see that from the very beginning that they're all that they're all immersed in this. They're overlapped. They're all working together, right? If they and, and it's just point. If you throw Fauci under the bus, everybody else is. It, it, he's probably going to say it. Well, I don't know if that would actually happen, but it's just obvious that the strings, the money, all tie back to everybody else involved. As I was saying. Under Trump's administration, they used the Chinese sequence that we can prove as their own admission when they sent that they hadn't isolated it. It was two days, January 12th, something like that. And then two days later, Moderna had their sequence, mRNA-1273, the same one they have today, in one of them anyway. Same with Pfizer. And as I said every time, how are you going to explain Donald Trump standing up and saying, they lied to us? Well, the basis for your still-promoted vaccine operation use the Chinese sequence that you guys didn't even care to verify or hadn't even been able to. Yeah, because there's more going on and there is overlap to this. That's the point. Well, here's a quick, uh, this is getting into the disease X point. UK scientists have begun developing vaccines as insurance against a new pandemic caused by an unknown disease X. This work is being done at the government's high security. Guess what? Porting down of all places, you know, the whole scree pole, what was it? Uh, Novichok lied that everybody proved was a lie, and we all laughed, and they just kept pretending it was real. Yep, same place in the laboratory complex in Wiltshire. Now, before we go forward on this, I want to do one quick side point. Carl Benjamin asked, "Could somebody please explain to me how it is how it's possible to create a vaccine for an unknown disease?" Well, I simply said, "Gain a function." That's how. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Fauci. EPPP research. They create dangerous things and claim to make vaccines for them. All for the one in a trillion chance that it naturally occurs the exact same way elsewhere. This is a bioweapons research and it should be illegal. Now, I didn't say virus anywhere in there. Now, what's interesting to me is this conversation. As you, and the point is ultimately not to go through all of it. But ultimately that my point was this. 
that old, uh, he uh, basically asking about, they've never proven there was a virus. And I said, well, hold on. You know, my point was, because I sensed that's where he was going. I said, if you're stuck on the idea it was a virus that they're making more dangerous, why couldn't it be pathogenic bacteria? Right? I'm open to both perspectives and critical of both, which most of the no virus crowd just can't go on board with. You're absolutely dishonest if you don't see the world just like them, which is pretty hard to not see as dishonest. But either way, there are a lot of honest people in this movement for example, I mean, I spoke to Alex Zek at Rebels for Cause, and we had a great conversation. He also sees a lot of these people in this movement as a little bit crazy. But the point is that there's a lot of honest, there's a lot of important stuff in the train theory conversation. As I've said many times, I think that it's more about that there's that both sides don't seem to fully grasp what's going on. And I think there are holes that I've already poked in, one of them being this in the conversation. That and maybe I'm wrong though. I can open my mind to that. My point is with whatever they've everything has been sent to me. I don't think that it's solid on either side. I think that they're, this is evolving as we go through this right now, which is important. But what's interesting is that the idea of bacteria, let's say, this actually popped up first for me with the idea of shedding. Because I pointed out the concept of shedding and somebody jumped in and said, viruses aren't real, you're a liar. And I'm like, well, hold on a minute. I didn't even say the word virus. Could it be a bacteria? And they're like, no, fake news. And my point was, Everything that's alive, I learned this in culinary school, everything that was alive, is alive or that was once alive has proteins, right? So bacteria is one of those things, has proteins. So that would mean, logically speaking, what we're talking about could be bacteria, and that could be what's shedding a protein. My point in saying this is only because the argument seems to be, well, Ryan thinks it's a virus, which that's not what I'm saying, by the way. I, I, you, as we've always talked about, it's the same as engaging with terrain and arguing it from that position. We're arguing from this position to show the lies within the narrative, but the point is that just because the person making the point thinks there's a virus, why would they dismiss the possibility that it could be something else? You see what I'm saying? Like, they're just, like th these people are dismissing the concept of gain of function. Like, that's fake. Shedding is fake because viruses aren't real. It's like, okay, well, as I said in the chat, in the conversation, what if they're calling it a virus so the people that know that it's fake dismiss the whole thing and that we don't realize that they're using bacteria to get everybody sick? Or what if they don't know that? What if the people making it, the people that are experts, they don't even, they believe the virus lie and they don't know. The point is they are doing something and we can show that. They're making something more dangerous. They're tinkering with these things and adding functions to dangerous things. And they'll tell you it's a virus, which I, that's what I believe is happening based on the evidence that I can see, or at the very least that we don't fully understand what those things mean between the two narratives. But ultimately speaking, that why can't it just be something with like a bacteria? And it comes down to the argument that they all, the, the only thing that people want to argue in this is that I think there's a virus and that makes everything wrong. And I think the real important point to this, and here's another conversation if you want to look at it for yourself, where the same argument gets made, where she's pointing out, this is the one that I was talking about, that, you know, that they're shedding, basically. And they simply go, no virus, no spike turning, no shedding. It's like, well, that's pretty remedial and, and very simplistic. And I simply said, do you not realize that everything alive or once alive has proteins, including bacteria, but don't let that get in the way of your self-congratulatory narrative. Choosing to ignore everything other than your chosen perspective is exactly what the government wants from you. <laughs> I said, very woke of you. Of course, I was pretty chippy that day and that didn't, probably didn't help them opening their mind to it. But I just think we need to realize and they, that people don't want to hear this. So I think we need to stand back and realize that there's a lot more to this possible story. That if anything could possibly be shedding proteins, why would we dismiss all of the conversation of shedding just because you think a virus doesn't exist? See my point? Like, it's just, it's very problematic that we're even shutting down any avenues of conversation. We should be able to theorize about all of these. Now, I get the worry that that might be something tricking people. But 
let people come to their own conclusions. Discernment's important, and so is all of the information. But obviously, this could be the case. And that's something I've talked about with Kaufman a long time ago. I've interviewed him three times. The important point is that, yes, bacteria and a couple other parts to this, because there can be pathogenic, pathogenic bacteria, which you can catch and you have symptoms and you can spread. So what's the real difference here? Just because I use the word virus, maybe we're talking about the same thing. Like, it's just, it's frustrating that we're so quick to dismiss anything. So just think about that as this conversation goes forward. But here's back to this point. Disease X, which is really interesting because really what it means is we don't know. It could be whatever comes next. So we'll make things for it. So Carl makes a good point. What do you mean you're going to make a vaccine for something that we don't know? Well, that's the whole point of this, guys. It cuts to the quick of the whole conversation. They're making dangerous things and then pretending to make a vaccine for it or making a vaccine for it. Why does that make sense to anybody? Dr. Boyle called this out really early on. Let me play this clip and we'll go forward. Standing in one of the most secure biological research centres in the country. This is Porton Down in Wiltshire. It's part of the UK Health Security Agency and it's very rare to be allowed through the high fences, the gates, into the labs themselves. But they're very keen to show off their new vaccine development and evaluation centre. It started work during the COVID pandemic. They were the ones who were testing uh, vaccines against new variants of the virus that were cropping up on a regular basis around the world. But they're now extending that work to look out for what might be the next pandemic. They don't know what it will be, a virus or a bacteria or some other pathogen, so it's just called disease X. And there are a number of candidates that they're already looking at. Avian influenza is one of those things. Bird flu, which has already, as we know, been sweeping around the country in the wild bird population. Causing... Well, here's the point, though. So what, are they making vaccines for bird flu? For the strains that you're talking about? But those are the strains that aren't hurting. Here's the logic. If, if you believe what they're saying, the argument would be that it's going to mutate so that it can hurt people, right? That's the, that's the whole argument. It's because if it's right now not, that means that what it's, it's affecting animals and birds and it hasn't, like previous examples they claim of jump species, but now we're past that, right? It does, it's not like the same one just suddenly hurts people unless it changes. So the argument is it will mutate and then hurt people. So explain for me how they can predict that mutation. I'm going to show you what their argument is. It, it, it's exa probably exactly what many of you are thinking. But that's what's wild about this. At best, it's a guess. Historically, they've already proven that they don't know what they're doing in this regard, or you can frame that however you want. That they're, you know, The point is that they don't. they make these things and it doesn't pan out. Look at how the COVID injection discussion worked. Argue, I argue that, that part, most of that was probably intentional. But either way, making new things for new Omicron variants, new thing, then seconds later, it doesn't work anymore. It's 20% effect. Clearly, based on what they just showed us, they can't even do this properly. Or that was the point. But that doesn't make any sense. Huge numbers of deaths now, this summer, but has also infected four people. They're all well, but it doesn't underline the threat that this is a potential risk to humans at some point in the future. Right. So we got some infected four people. Nobody got hurt and went away. And OK, but like, we're worried, though, because it could be like this is exactly what everybody's been warning about over the last couple of decades. The, the CDC or the, the WHO document I show you all the time. Health is more than influenza or the HHS or numerous examples. The BMJ had an entire article about this. The point is. What remember what it says? We don't need more preparedness plan or no, more definitions and more. We just need to. Let me just read it exactly. I knew I'd forget. 
the bottom line is what they're doing right now is is exactly what previously they told us led to more of exactly this. It says worst case thinking replaced balanced risk assessment. Worst case thinking is motivated by the belief that danger we face is so overwhelmingly catastrophic that we must act immediately. Rather than wait for information, we need a preemptive strike. That's what they're doing right now, Right? This is the one you've seen a thousand times, guys. The WHO document, the 2011, the HHS said the same thing, right? Pan, repeated pandemics of fear. H1N1 is what they're pointing at right now. The new swine flu, oh no, it's rising up. Their WHO came out and said that we were lied to. Stocking of useless, right, what it says right here, the precautionary stocking of largely useless antivirals and irrational vaccine policies, saying that the influenza experts were lying to people. This is the WHO in 2011. It's on the Wayback Machine or the archive because they removed it, like a lot of other things they don't want you to see. They're also looking at things like monkeypox, again, to develop a vaccine. And another early success from the work they're doing here has been something called Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever. That's a really esoteric disease for now, but they believe that it might be a risk in the future. It's spread by ticks uh, and causes uh, mortality in around 30% of people. And with climate change, it's moving north through Europe. And that's why they're trying to get ahead. And underlines what they do here. They're scanning the horizon for threats to try and develop vaccines that might be needed in the future. They'll take them so far, they'll have them on the shelf, if you like, and if there is an outbreak, they can take them down and try and develop a vaccine within 100 days. Now, bear in mind... Why? Why exactly? Did they get safety tested? <laughs> well, no. We're just in a new world now. We just That's just the norm. There's, the logic of why they did it before, because it was rapidly, because we're all going to die, doesn't apply today. So how do you explain that? Well, here's the point. That was what we were telling you then. This wasn't because we're in a pandemic. It was because it was a new platform they were testing. They pushed this forward into the guys that going forward, they wouldn't need them. We showed you that data before. Well, now we're not in a pandemic, but they're doing it, right? Because that was always the plan. We just got pushed into the guys that we were in danger. And now we just become okay with it. Well, no, I don't think anybody is, but they're doing it. How do you logically say that thing's safe in a hundred days? It used to take five years. Fauci said that right before COVID-19 started. Now it's a hundred days. Why? Just because it's a new technology doesn't mean it's any less or more safe. We've seen that already. And yet one in a what billion trillion chance that the thing they just magically thought up happens to be the next thing that happens. I don't know why anybody puts any stock in this because we just saw how that worked. That it took 360 days to develop a COVID vaccine and that was extraordinarily quick. Yeah, yeah, quick because they didn't test it, because it was dangerous, guys. I, we shouldn't be allowing this. Next time, they're going to go quicker still, because COVID really taught... Yeah, see, right. Quicker still. Isn't that great? Even faster this time. <laughs> Operation Extra Light Speed. The point is that this is gain of function. There's no way around that. Now that we're in the realm of how we're, you know, like, what happened? Didn't they just tell us that gain of function was illegal? Didn't they, didn't they just spend the last month and year or whatever the... Try, Fauci screaming that we didn't do that, that we didn't fund it over there, that that's not even real, and now they're actively doing it in front of you? Don't misunderstand this. If they're adding, if they're making this different, they're, they're using gain of function. That's what's happening. You're mutating it so it can hurt humans, so you can make a vaccine for it. That's gain of function at its core. And that's okay, apparently, because we're, we're I don't even know how to make sense of that. It's so ridiculous that Fauci was like 30 seconds ago saying it's not even happening, and now it's right in front of you.
Well, this is probably why Robert Cadleck said that vaccine technology was the, uh, the approximate cause, right? Not gain of function, vaccine technology, right? Oh, well, okay. So it was a mistake, but vaccine technology is important. They're talking about gain of function. So we just got, this just a sleight of hand. We just got played, basically, or people that fell for it anyway. Well, here is the Michael Callahan you've heard so much about from DARPA talking about, former DARPA manager, excuse me, talking about using artificial intelligence, which we've already told you, to predict, to predict what the next one will be. And you know what? Artificial intelligence knows, so we have to trust it. That's how this goes. The project was to do the same thing, but with a virus of the future. It was an inbound virus. It hadn't appeared yet, but it was inevitable. So in this case, we just adapted it to the trend of viral evolution and produced for the first time a vaccine before that pathogen had even emerged. It was developed by an agency in the U.S. Department of Defense called DARPA, known better for making, inventing the internet, but also responsible for Moderna an mRNA company that's done quite well. Prophecy realized that you need genetic intelligence and you need clinical intelligence in order to give yourself time to develop emergency vaccines. That gave rise to three follow-on programs, both inside the U.S. government and by NGOs like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Medicine Zone Frontier, and the Wellcome Trust. And the Wellcome Trust. Well, Did you catch the most important part? It was made for Moderna, right? Because Moderna was totally not doing that this whole time and using genetic sequence based on artificial intelligence and whatever else happened before isolating this to make the basis for the injection. We're all living through this experiment. They're testing out exactly what this still is. And that's what this was all about. In part, at the very least, maybe all. The bottom line is that's the reality. They're using artificial intelligence or whatever they currently have to predict what this will be. How do we not know that's not exactly what this was that got out of hand or all these different possibilities that we just don't want to talk about? That's alarming. And let's not forget, guys, disease X, what does that remind you of? Demonstration project. Well, first of all, don't forget, we just talked about AI-created drugs with George Webb. That's, that's the future. That's where this is going, and that's what's already happening. What does this remind you of? Disease X. Clade X. Didn't we just talk about this? Right. Crimson Contagion, Clade X. These are previous dark winter type preparedness, uh, you know, examples, right? Let's talk. Let's see what this says first. Disease X. UK scientists begin developing vaccines against new pandemic that they are guessing at. That's they leave that part out, I guess, at least in the title. UK scientists have begun developing vaccines as an insurance against new pandemics caused by an unknown disease X. The work is being carried out by the government's high-security Portendown Laboratory. They have drawn up a threat list of animal viruses that are capable of infecting humans and could in future spread rapidly around the world. Well, okay, if they're capable of infecting humans, why is it not right now a problem? Okay, well, so that, that means they're changing it to make it a problem so they can make a vaccine for it. Well, we already have vaccines for the things they're pointing at, which we probably shouldn't want either. But if they're just saying, you know, the bird flu that's already here, they have a vaccine for that. So this is not the same thing. This is gain of function. Which of them will break through and trigger the next pandemic is unknown, which is why they refer to it as disease X. Well, you, you see the point in all of this? It's not about maybe, it's when. Which of them will be the one that happens tomorrow, right? 
That's why would they possibly know that? Why would they possibly not be able to tell that one of these will be the next one? Well, we went sent decades without something. Well, suddenly it's a, it's a quick succession. Variant is variant, disease after disease, monkeypox, and this and that. It's everywhere. Well, they want you to tell climate change, of course, even though that's ridiculously not true. UK scientists have begun developing vaccines as insurance policies, and I think this was... I'll play a little bit of this. I think it's a little bit redundant, but we'll play this real quick. Oh, actually, you know, it looks like I left it out anyway, so we'll skip it. The point is just the same. Right? We're talking about what they're doing here. In some it's just called C is scanning the horizon for... Yeah. Just that they're guessing. <laughs> That's the point to take from this video, that we don't know, and we're predicting it for you with artificial intelligence. Well, as as when Carl asked, how do, what's the point? Jordan Peterson nails it very easily with a picture of Mr. Burns. Well, if you make the virus, you can make the vaccine. Bingo. Right? That's the simple way to look at this. It's true, though. You can control the situation. It's not about being able to stop something else. It's about the fact that now you have this dangerous thing and you've got the antidote. That is what anybody honest has been saying about this forever. Because the odds that you're making the thing that will magically pop up organically somewhere else is ridiculous. It's certainly possible, but ridiculous. Now, it's kind of interesting to think about. Whitney Webb wrote this in, or excuse me, Derek wrote this one in 2020 of October, the darkest winter. And he talks about crimson contagion and Claydex. And that's exactly what this is. So they're telling you about this. They already predicted what this was going to do. And it's worth looking back into this. I'm not going to go into it today because I'm already running along. But the point is that this is all the same thing. They're talking about a novel avian influenza, right? There's so many overlaps to these things. And you could argue it's because, well, they are experts and they know what seems most likely. But that's not necessarily true because they say things and predict things constantly that don't happen. Either way, you can prove that there is more foreknowledge than they admit. Here is another article written by Whitney Webb in 2020, September, Engineering Contagion. UMPC, we just talked about that with George Webb as well, Corona Thrax and the Darkest Winter. We talk about Claydex in this. We go over all the you know, Corona Thrax and all the overlaps. It's very important. Notably, the Claydex pandemic simulation, which will be discussed in detail in the next installment of the series, involved a genetically engineered combination of the Nimpa virus and the para-influenza disease. Interesting how they already knew. I wonder if that ends up being exactly what ultimately happens. Well, here's the other one. This one is from the Spars pandemic. Now, understand, she did go more deep into the next one, which I should actually grab for you. But in any case, I'll get it before we leave the show today. All this stuff is super important. Way, way ahead of the story. Even this one, 2020, November 19th, Derek wrote this. The Spars pandemic of 2025, echo chambers and vaccine opposition. And then Alex Jones broke this about a year later. You know, super important. But yeah, here it is, 2020, way ahead of the story. Clade X, May 15th, 2018, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security hosted a day-long pandemic tabletop exercise simulating a series of National Security Council convened meetings of 10 U.S. government leaders, played individual prominence, field national security, epidemic, blah, 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 same thing. Always, it's always the same point. They get together, they go, here's what we need, and they don't do any of it. <laughs> Every single time. To vent 201. What do we need? We need more ventilators, and we need more masks, and we need to stop on. And then what they do? Absolutely none of that. And then what do they say when it happens? Oh my God, we need more masks and ventilators. And <laughs> No, it's, it's about predicted programming. That's what this is about. I mean, that's my opinion, but damn it, if you can't look back and go, it's pretty weird how they always never do what they say they need, and then they always end up needing it. And then what do they use that to justify? More funding and more the next time. Every single time. And every single time, they don't seem to keep you safe. And they go, yeah, we failed, but we'll do better with more money. Well, guess what? 
I will point this out, as he mentioned in the in the Australian discussion. Now, when this first happened, in the early part of it, it's, this is obviously suspicious. There's no reason to not be like, that's pretty weird. When Fauci comes out and goes, there's going to be a surprise outbreak. Now, I almost didn't even believe this when this first came out. Remember, I, I, I think when I first said it was like, well, the point was, well, yeah, same kind of thing. Expert, arguably, right? Somebody knows what he's talking about in their concept of what he's making. But the point is that ultimately, you could argue that they he just predicts that he thinks it's going to happen based on his research and blah, blah, blah. Now, that's not necessarily what I thought was the truth. I just said, well, it's possible. But now, looking back with everything we know, listen to this yet again. Now, I mean, sure, most of you are already very clearly on the same page that this is pretty suspicious. But for those that don't remember this, this in conjunction with the Guardian article, just think about what this says. How you could possibly know that specifically in the next four-year period, there would not only be an outbreak, but a surprise outbreak. If there's one message that I want to leave with you today based on my experience, and you'll see that in a moment, is that there is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease, and we have certainly a large burden of that, but also there will be a surprise outbreak. There will be a surprise outbreak. There will be a surprise outbreak. I mean, how can you really say that, right? Like, I mean, even then, yeah, it's just, it's, but it's just, it's so ridiculous. Looking back, how can you possibly say a surprise outbreak? And then remember that in 2020, who else? Peter Daszak. Classic. Peter Daszak himself made a article, wrote an article for The Guardian. Apparently, we're entering the era of pandemics. It will end only when we protect the rainforest. Oh, climate change, of course. The point is that how could you possibly know that we're entering an era of pandemics? Because the people that believe this are going to say because they're experts and they know and they see climate change and they see the rising issues, but that's just not even factually accurate. You, okay, have them break down the evidence for you and say, here's why we thought, that's not, they won't have anything. It's their opinion. That's all you got. There's not, they don't have some kind of metric table where they show you the numbers that are increasing here. And here's what we say. They, these are just observations. So at best, this is a broad guess. But the era of pandemics? Come on, guys. Like, of course, I could be entirely wrong, too. But with Fauci saying this, with The Guardian writing this, with Peter Daszak telling you this, when you can now prove that these very people covered up the information about where we just might have come from, the information about what they worked on, the information about gain of function, it's just about the most obvious thing in the world. Right? And here's Bill Gates talking about how the COVID pandemic and vaccine were a test of people's trust in government. I'm not sure that, you know, this was an interesting trust, uh, a case test of people's trust in their politicians or their health systems. And, you know, statistically, uh, we didn't do as well as I would have expected. You know, in fact... So you could take that as, as you know, just a, you know, make conversational, you know, well, well it's just there's a test that ultimately didn't work out. Or you could take it literal. It's up to you. But either way, it was a test to see, are you going to follow along? And I think we succeeded. We passed that test because we did not. Right? They, this is the interesting point about this. And we have every right. Like, realize this is not, like, the way this ends and they frame this is, well, you know, we're wrong, essentially, is the undertone. That we're conspiracy theorists and we just don't understand. But let's not forget that we can quite literally prove the corruption. We can prove the lies. We can prove how they have continued to hide information, how they have continued to try to obfuscate the reality. 
let's not pretend like this isn't the most obvious thing in the world. So this is not some kind of like, we're confused and we just didn't understand and we don't trust them anymore. This, this is criminal activity and people on all sides of the, pe- the paradigm standing back and saying, I don't know about this right now. Both the new shots, right? The, uh, the banking part we'll get to in the end here, where the, the government's going, go to the big banks, it's safer. And everybody's like, F that. We're going the other direction. Left, right, middle, everybody's fleeing the big banks. Nobody trusts them. And that is one of the best things we've ever seen in a long time. You know, I'm cited as some, you know, mastermind of some evil yeah, plot uh, in many, many cases. So, no, I didn't expect any of that. Uh, didn't necessarily say it's not true, did he? <laughs> uh, you know, in some ways, the politicization of, you know, taking vaccines and helping protect other people, um, you could almost say that's a step backwards. You know, I hope vaccine acceptance for other diseases like measles is not reduced by this. But, you know, a lot of people jumped in and took the vaccines, but a meaningful minority in most countries were led down a path of believing that not only, you know, was there, were there rare side effects, but that the vaccine was uh, properly tested or was part of some evil conspiracy. Well, they weren't properly tested. That's 100% verifiable right now. It's coming out in every which way all over the place. Evil conspiracy? I quite frankly completely agree with that. But that's for you to decide. What's interesting, though, is nowhere in there did he go not true. Not That's not what happened. They're lying. They're conspiracy theorists. Quite a different tone, isn't it? Just kind of saying it's too bad that they did that and they went that path. And this now here's where we are. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading that, but that's interesting. I think that they're all on a stage right now where they're very carefully watching what they say. That shows you something, guys. That's my opinion. Now, Disclosed TV writes, British scientists begin developing vaccines in a high-security laboratory for disease X. And Fru Hodel points out, well, go and check who received funding for disease X. Well, disease X in this case, is COVID-19 before the now where the, the step forward, right? And it says it represents the knowledge that a serious international epidemic could be caused by a pathogen currently unknown to cause human disease, which is not what they're saying over there. They're saying we're taking things that are currently issues with humans and worried, we're manipulating them to make them worse. How, so how does that overlap? Interesting, right? Like, again, we just can't, well, I think I closed it already. I knew I was going to do that. The point is that that video we just watched, they're saying, well, we'll take an avian flu and these things that are already risk to humans, right? And making them, and well, he didn't per- verbatim say making them more dangerous, but that's what they're doing, adding function and then making vaccines. But that's not even the definition of disease X. The disease, disease X is something that's not even known to affect humans and then changes. Isn't that an interesting overlap? Like just these, de- they're conflating everything, it seems. But it says, it is one of the diseases the WHO per- prioritizes because of the epidemic potential and because there's no other countermeasures. COVID-19 is the world's disease X. It has resulted in a humanitarian and economic global crisis. Well, no, the government's actions to the illusion of it is what that caused or what caused that. Unprecedented in modern times and a novel pathogen, no vaccine against it currently exists. And it's not just COVID-19. The number of new emerging infection diseases are on the rise. A future disease X could arise through multiple routes, including viral, bacterial. They keep saying that. I find that interesting. In any case, it's interesting how this is the extension, it seems, of the same thing. Like, this is just almost like COVID-19 step two is what it starts to feel like. Now, let's not forget on, over all of that, 
So in, in case you missed the broad point here, the point is that disease X is whatever they want it to be. It's about saying the next thing that we point at is the big problem, or it could be something that is real. Who knows? The bottom line is it's something that we then put all of our momentum into and say, this is the next pandemic. And now we have to act again. That's what I'm concerned about. But let's not forget, all of this is in fact, gene therapy. That's what this is. And it's not deniable as we have people from within the community of the, of the, this was uh, Stefan Orlick. We've played this before openly saying, yes, I can't believe everyone took gene therapy. So that's what this is. They're just splitting hairs and trying to deny it because they changed the definition of vaccine to apply this because otherwise that would have changed how they legally had to deal with it, right? These people are aggressively dishonest. But what are we talking about with gene therapy? These are, these are manipulated products that are out in the world that are in fact spreading in many ways that we can prove. What does that mean? What does that mean to the population? What does it mean to, to mass immunity in general? I think ultimately what we're seeing is the engineering of we, of more ability to be more susceptible to whatever comes next. Here's what this, this, this clap, you've probably seen the clip many times, but here's what they said in, I think this was 2021. Uh, ultimately, the, uh, the mRNA vaccines uh, are an example for that uh, cell and gene therapy. I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago uh, in the public, would you be willing to take a, a gene, th- gene or cell therapy and inject it into your body? We would have probably had a 95% refusal rate. I think uh, this pandemic has also opened many people's eyes to, to innovation in the way that uh, was maybe not possible before. Now, that's, that's, that's the, uh, what was he? The first from Bayer. I forget, is he the member of the, he's a, he's a member of the board of management of Bayer and the head of pharmaceutical division, Bayer. Bayer Monsanto telling you gene therapy. I can't believe everybody did it. Oops, lost my place. There we go. Because these vaccines, or I should say so-called vaccines, they aren't vaccines. And I was convinced that that was not an important issue. Lots of people were upset by the redefinition of the term vaccine. I wasn't convinced it was an important issue. I have switched sides on this. I now think the definition is vitally important, and we're beginning to see why. Why do you think it is not a vaccine? There there are really um, two issues. One, it doesn't produce immunity to catching the disease or transmitting it. So it's not a vaccine by that metric. And in this case, what they've done is they've smuggled in a really, truly, radically new technology, and they caused us all not to worry about it very much by using the term vaccine, right? Mm. If they had said, uh, all right, we've got this pandemic, and uh, in order to uh, prevent it from spreading, we're going to have everybody take gene therapy, everybody would have said, what? gene therapy? Is that safe? So the point is, we had a category and it was called vaccine. And we all thought there are some crazy folks who are worried about vaccines, but in general, it's safe. So if something can... Which, by the way, that's all not true. Like, let's be real about that in general. Which is, that's the, it's interesting how even this kind of makes it seem like it's just the new direction now that it conflated it with vaccine. That's not true either, guys. As I showed you before, like GlaxoSmith, all these historic Pfizer in Nigeria and these past examples of experimentation and wildly dangerous things they still give people carries that label, it's probably safe too. And this was the sleight of hand. So societally, we have this construct vaccine. Most people in their minds historically think vaccine. Oh gosh, we've got our childhood vaccines, military vaccines, etc. Vaccine, vaccine. To change the term for injecting a gene into the body that's never been used uh, ever before, this platform, a lipid nanoparticle plus a gene, is not a vaccine. So we have the inventor of mRNA vaccines sitting sitting right to my right here. Robert, is this a vaccine or is it a gene therapy? 
As I've said repeatedly, it came out of a gene therapy research program. These and the adenoviral vectors are absolutely gene therapy technology applied for the purpose of eliciting an immune response. Okay. I don't care what the FDA says. There's your answer right there. Okay, thanks. Right. Now, again, there's a, there's a good thing, right? So Robert, there's Robert Malone doing something positive, right? So you factor in everything. The point, though, is that he is a, a, an authority on this topic. And for crying out loud, they just go, no, and now he's a conspiracy theorist because he said whatever. The point is it's obvious. It's not even debatable. And then let's not forget that long before 2022, but here's the World Economic Forum, gene therapy, why we need to accelerate global access to the world's most expensive drugs. But it's not that one, though, not the one that we all know is gene therapy, but everything else forward. Hooray. And you'll find examples of this all over the place. We just saw an article from one of the, ma- one of the most mainstream platforms. I forget what it was. I think it was maybe Newsweek. I forget. But they're basically just saying gene therapy is the future. We all need more gene therapies for all the other countries. <laughs> it's just so... They really think that we're this stupid, guys. And it's so wildly transparent. Now, oh, I thought I had one more thing. I had to abruptly shift like that. But so the point in general, guys, well, there's a good overlap to that in general. If we're talking about gene therapy, I actually want to finish, though, in the general point here. that th- This is alarming. All of this is happening in real time. They're building new things based on all of this, using the mRNA platform, despite the failure that just happened. And they're just gaslighting everybody in real time. All right, so do, do what you're already doing. Just stay the course. Keep informing people. Keep spreading this. Keep showing people the truth. And, you know, as I've said before, as much as it's undermining my own reach, probably not a good idea to dump a four-hour video on it, right? But you can cut out the pieces. You can clip it. You can take the source material. Strike conversations with people and just be like, what do you think about this? Right? Don't don't dump in with the, you know, because you want to pe- let them come to their own conclusions and just converse because people are willing to listen if you don't strike that chord that makes them feel like you're the person they're not supposed to talk to, right? And, you know, Find a common ground. The point is, this needs to be pointed out because people aren't stupid as much as they want to think we are. They'll open their minds to it as if you just if you let them see what's really going on for the most part. There's a faction of people out there that will never care. That's the truth. Now, the overlap here is obviously as we get into the conversation of transgender, that there is an overlap to the concept of what this is. It's not necessarily gene therapy, hormone therapy, but we're talking about something that is altering the way your body operates in a really alarming way. Now, you could argue that all of this is some kind of weird, abstract way to normalize transhumanism, but that's a different conversation. The truth, though, is that all of this is happening simultaneously. Who knows how these things overlap? That's something we don't even talk about, right? So you get mRNA gene therapy injections, then you get hormone treatments, and then, then you get you're in East Palestine, you get dioxins all over the place. You know, there's so many things that are swinging around this that cause things to overlap. So it's, it's also important not to just pretend it's only one thing ever happening. But let's get into the conversation of what this is. And this, this segment is so important. And it, really, it's an, it's an extrapolation of everything we've already done. But the most important thing for this segment to realize is this whole thing is collapsing in real time. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't kids that have already been destroyed, if not killed, by this exact discussion. What they're doing to them, what they've allowed. And the most disgusting part of this segment today is how the corporate media is acting like, oh, it's just the evolution of the science. No, no, it's not. It's always been the reality that this is hurting people, that there hasn't been enough evidence. All you're now doing is being forced to acknowledge that because you've been part of the ploy. I'll show you what I mean. BBC, big surprise. The point, though, is that this is collapsing. They're closing places that have been, you know, the Tavistock Institute which is a household name for some people because they're hurting people, guys. Not, not accountability just yet, but I feel like that might be coming too. But realize that in the NHS, 
in 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 the in the UK they already are, they've already put out documents that said there's not enough evidence. It's hurting people. We got to stop. The US is still doing it. Still pushing forward. The point though is that around the world because of your work, because of what you're doing in the chat and sharing this with people, it's changing the conversation. As I think we've done for a lot of conversations, guys. But here is Richard Dawkins having a conversation with um I'm blanking on her name all of a sudden. Gosh, I, I respect her too. I keep forgetting her name. Uh, it's right here. Uh, what is her name again? Helen, isn't it Helen something? Anyway, I, I hate that I forgot her name. She's doing good work. I'll let it play. Richard writes, sex is purely binary. Declaring oneself to be otherwise is a distortion of reality. It is binary. There's no question about it. You're either male or female, and it's absolutely clear. You can do it on gamete sides. You can do it on chromosomes. To me, as a biologist, distinctly weird. People can simply declare, I am a woman, though I have a penis. Helen, what do you think lies behind this odd distortion of reality? If you remember her last name, put it in the chat for me so everyone knows who she is. I would say that when I started to write about it first, I quickly realised that this wasn't treated the same way as anything else. Like just asking very obvious questions like, um, don't you think that if we allow people to self-identify their sex, this will lead to, for example, destroying women's sports or putting rapists in women's jails? People would turn this back on me and say, you think that trans people are predators. You're a bigot. What we were talking about here was an intensely linguistic movement. Like, there isn't a sense in which a man can become a woman, except linguistically. Like, yes, okay, he can have operations. Most trans people don't have any operations, don't take any medicine. But that doesn't change your sex. Interesting. Hold on. This odd distortion of reality. I would say that when I started to write about it first, I quickly realised that this wasn't treated the same way as anything else. Very important. It adds to the point that we just made, right? Why isn't it treated as everything else, right? Why, why was COVID treated different than everything else? Suddenly we think, here's a new thing we're going to do, even though arguably everyone in that community was like, vaccines work and they're amazing. And then they go, we're going to push that all aside, do something totally new. That's crazy, right? It really is crazy to just argue you're going to do something radical different in the middle of a supposed pandemic, even though that wasn't true. Yeah, that's ridiculous, guys. That's clownishly stupid because it's an experiment. That's the point. So here's another, an overlap to the same thing. Here rises this new thing, and they go, we're going to treat this thing different than anything else. That should show us something today. There's an agenda tucked inside of it. That's why. Because if this was treated like everything else, well, it's getting, we're, we're now seeing that happen now, where they're going, whoa, hold on. Turns out there is no evidence. Turns out it is hurting children. Suddenly, we're going to go back to doing what we were doing before. That's the point. Because it should be deal, dealt with as at, le at the very least, we should be making sure, right, if you believe this is the right thing to be doing, that you might not accidentally wrap in people that are just gay or lesbian or have a mental disorder or, you know, any number of other things, right? Even though gender dysphoria is a mental disorder. The point is that you have people that are schizophrenic, that are told they're that's happening. Because that was, I, I would argue, the whole point, quite frankly. Helen Pluckrose, thank you. Now, and this, like, for those that haven't seen my coverage on this so far, I'm not arguing every trans person is any one way. I'm saying that the movement and the politicization of this entire thing has warped people's minds like any other manipulation. And children are being manipulated. There's plenty of trans people that are speaking out about this. Plenty of gay people, plenty of drag queens that are saying this is crazy and all of this is wrong. Not the sense that people that might need this are wanting to do this to their own bodies. I've, I, I, look, I, you've, I've given you my opinion on that. I think there's a problem here. But ultimately, as an adult, you can do what you want to your own body. That's real freedom, okay? But to involve children 
to do anything that influences somebody else's choices or forces me to act a certain way? Nope. Sorry. Hard line. Hard no. That's never going to happen. That shouldn't have ever happened in the first place. It's just crazy that anybody allowed this. But to her point about the predators, make sure you watch this episode. The gender dysphoria contradiction. That point is about how they know within this community that the doctors, let's put it this way. The only avenue for a person today that is trans to actual treatment and surgery is for a doctor to write down gender dysphoria as a diagnosis. You can prove that everywhere. There's no other way they can get to it. But yet, interestingly enough, right now, the entire community says, we're not sick. Nobody's got gender dysphoria. We're just this way. It's not an illness. Okay, now explain that for me. Because that's what's happening. Then they go and they go, I'm not sick. I don't have gender dysphoria. Well, that's supposed to be a hard pass if they say, or uh, no. If they don't think they've got it, then you're not supposed to give them this treatment because that's one of the early discussions they had. But guess what? We've got them on video where they go, just write it down so they get the help they need. What, with the help for gender dysphoria? <laughs> but they just told you they didn't have it. And you don't think they have it. But you don't even think it's real. Oops, there's a problem there, right? So there's an obvious contradiction between what the community thinks what the politics are doing, and then what the actual doctors are doing, which all of these doctors are criminals. They're lying about what's happening to give these children cosmetic surgery that they argue is in their benefit. It's, just, it's absolutely ludicrous. And the last part was, are sexual predators using the trans movement? Now, I'm not in any way arguing, as anybody, nobody honest should conflate my words or argue I am, because I'm clearly not saying everybody trans or everybody who was gay or any, it was all a predator. That would be pretty stupid and quite frankly insulting. The point is that are there predators abusing this movement? Well, yes. I mean, it, this is as stupid as during the Kavanaugh hearing, trust women. And going, well, what do you mean? They can't lie? And then suddenly you're an anti-woman hater because you suggest that they might lie? It's just this overreaction. There are provably, and if you watch this show, it'll make you sick. As they just said in that clip, men pretending to be trans to get into women's prisons and then raping women and getting removed again or all over the place, women's bathrooms. Now, that doesn't have to mean trans. It could just mean people that are predators pretending to be trans. But my point is there are also real trans people, or I guess how you ever want to frame that, the people that are fully trans that are absolutely abusing people. Here's an example of something I think is important that overlaps two points in this. Redux points out this is a trans-identified male who was found guilty of rape on a small island of, of uh, Guernsey, following a trial in which his defense claimed that he was simply a victim of transphobic or victim was transphobic. That is how we keep seeing this. Even ones that later continue to get proven to be guilty, their argument in court was that they were being attacked because they were trans because they're using the movement to hide what they are. That's real. Doesn't mean everybody in that position, but it is happening. If we don't want to acknowledge that, then you don't care that people are being hurt. Freddie Christian, 19, was recorded as a woman during the arrest. Now, here's the, here's the interesting part. On a second part of this point, this says a male rapist who calls himself a female joked about getting aroused by being called Miss and was referred to as Miss during his own trial. These men are forcing their sexual fetishes onto the public. Stop accommodating them. We talked about the autogynophilia, right? Let me see if I have this one. This one was in regard to chest feeding. The point here, you could prove that there is there is a fetish that is predominant in, in specifically the, the overlap of transgenderism for the most part, but others as well, where people have these, the fetish called autogonophilia 
or it, largely it's actually people that are mostly straight. But the point is that they end up wanting to dress like females. And the argument is that's because they are attracted to themselves in women's clothing. But ultimately, it boils down to a couple of different versions. Where, for instance, in this case, there's a, a predominant overlap of people that are aroused by, you know, in this case, uh, nipple clamps and things like that, right? And the point is that that's why some of these people are having children that they want to breastfeed with. And you could prove this in this case. Watch the show. It's hard to watch. The point is that, that if you can't imagine it's possible that somebody would use this situation to do that, then I mean, you don't know how humans work. The point here is here's an example of that, where this person who is a male rapist who has become transgender, here's the video where this man says, or in the text says, I don't really have many turn-ons, to be honest. When they call me miss, right? This is the turn, that's, that's this man's turn-on. So the point is, then you go around forcing everyone to call you a miss and you're sexually attracted to that. So if you can't acknowledge that part of what's happening here, and even if I'm not, you don't even have to pretend they're pretending to be trans. The point is that you are forcing a fetish in the form of whatever you think this is. Now, that's not everybody, but it is part of this. And if you can't acknowledge that, then you don't care that people are being manipulated and abused. And this, and uh, Riley Gaines is one of the people that pointed this out. They, she got, has a video of this person on the left pointing out their nipple clamps and asking about how hard to pinch and so on. And then she goes public and breastfeeds as a man. And by the way, that's getting into the concept of chest feeding, which is dangerous, unhealthy, and concerning. You don't believe me? Watch the show. It's scientifically proven. Now, here's another very, very, very uncomfortable video. And I recommend, I mean, it's not graphic, but if you have children watching, this is a disgusting video, okay? Gays for Grinch groomers, who, by the way, completely snubbed me on interview. I don't know why, but I still respect their work because that's what I do. Drag queen allows little children to rub his fake breasts. Now, let's just put aside the idea of the possibility this is a person who gets off on this. Why is this appropriate? Even if they're not. Why is it appropriate? Then you can ask if it's actually sexual fetish for this person. The bottom line is, I'll play the video, it's a drag queen with little children allowing them to, to play with this man's breasts. And we know, as we just pointed out, that there is a reasonably high overlap to this exact discussion. And whether or not that's even involved, this should not be okay. Why is there any sexual overlap to this at all? This is wildly inappropriate. Girl. Ah. Oh, I remember. I forgot. So I didn't download it because there's no real audio to it. So here's the video. argue that's innocent and maybe it is not to me though right it doesn't matter how you think and what that person's intentions are i mean the intentions will always matter to some degree but whether or not they think that's appropriate whether or not they think that's some kind of a thing that gets on that's not appropriate at all no matter what if it was a man and that person was touching the, their penis why would you think that was okay why is it any different you're touching a, a private part of this adult as a child you're aggressively crossing lines. And what, it's okay because it's a, it's a drag queen? <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. 
It's because people are afraid to call out what this is. Bottom line, this cannot be allowed because what they're telling you is these kind of things aren't sexual, that it's just a person who wants to read a book. Then why do we have all these aggressive sexual overlaps? Doesn't make any sense. And then really, if you want to listen to people like there's gay, this account in particular, there are gay people speaking out. There are drag queens, communities of them who are out here screaming. Why are you letting people around, letting kids around drag queens? We like one of the videos I played before. They're like, We're, it's, it's always sexual. There's always drug use. Like and that, that doesn't have to be every single one of them. But a lot of the drag queens will be honest and tell you that's what the whole community is about. It is intently sexual. But let it around kids because you're a bigot, right? Well, here's the same person, a prominent psychologist within the gender identity clinic at Tavistock, one one of which was just closed down, has called for normalizing age play, furry fetishes, and a variety of sadomasochistic sexual practices as sexualities. Dr. Christina Richards, a male who identifies as transgender and the lead psychologist and head of psychology at the London Gender Identity Clinic. Like any of these clinics right now are a problem. As, we're, as I'm going to get to with the NIH, they don't have the evidence to back up what they're doing, guys. That should have never been allowed. So most of these people involved must know that, as the whistleblowers have pointed out. The woman that spoke up and said, I thought I was saving them. It turns out I was hurting people. And spoke about the doctors that didn't care. They literally talk about funneling people from the psych ward of their hospital. ADHD, schizophrenic, all these different things. People who have multiple personalities. You know what the characteristic of all of them are? They believe things that aren't real. And then you trust them. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm gender dysphoria. Well, because we told them that. This is a big problem for me. And then you got people that are pushing this ideology and they're the ones leading the charge. Responsible for a number of publications which seek to rebrand fetishes as further sexualities. There's an overlap to this conversation regarding pedophilia. That is a real thing. Member attracted persons, an entire community. There's a lot of people in this community that pretend that's not something they agree with. Maybe they don't. But there are a lot of them that do, that argue, well, it's just another version of it. It's what happens when you open the acceptance to everything under the sun, whatever they can make up. There are things that are wildly off limits that we all understand. Terms, it says, which may be encountered here include daddy's little girl. It's disgusting. We're talking about adults, by the way. And, and we're not talking about just all adults here. In which an older male top treats a younger female bottom as a nurtured child. Which, by the way, that implies that that's what you're sexually attracted to, by the way. The term... Sissification intersects with age play as it is where an adult male is consensually forced to don the clothes of and behave as a young girl. Not a young adult girl, understand, as part of the BDSM scene. The humiliation of the adult male feels as at, at being dressed as a female is a source of its erotic. That's, that's the autogonophilia part of the overlap, to a degree. So really, these people who are pushing this are either... Under the under the uh, the belief that this is what should be happening, or they are pushing something that is, uh, you know, they have their own perversions and they're pushing it to normalize it. You can think about it however you want. Quite frankly, I don't care. This cannot be allowed, especially when all of this is aiming at normalizing perversion. And I'm not even talking about transgender. I'm talking about the idea of age play conversation or pretending that you're abusing a young girl. Like this should not be allowed. I don't think you can do what you want in your own home. I'll still think you're that's disgusting. The point is that what we're, and I, not, of course, I didn't mean with a young girl. You want to age play with your adult friend. That's up to you. The point is that this then comes out into the world in the context of what's happening and the pride rallies or the drag queen readings or the things that they're pushing, normalizing this with younger people. Now, again, 
they'll always try to frame this as me saying that's what everything is because that's the kind of stupid people we're dealing with. Obviously, I've said a thousand times that's not the case. It's about the people abusing the situation to make that the case. Riley Gaines, who you should follow, points out, you are deranged and should be in prison. You know what she's talking about? A professor claims children should be exposed to adult, adult geni genitalia. It's a real story. It's not some fringe platform. You got it's the Daily Mail. Not that the Daily Mail doesn't make, manipulate and lie all the time, but the point is you can read it. This is a true story. Journalism professor claims they should be exposed to adult genitalia to prepare them for seeing naked trans people in locker rooms. Oh, okay. So instead of realizing that's going to traumatize children, let's traumatize them right out of the gate. So the next time they're not bigots. You know, when that seven-year-old girl cries and shakes in the, in the stall because a grown man had a penis in front of her in the shower. It's her fault. You're disgusting. That's what happened twice that I can see. YMCA's told young girls that they were bigots because they were traumatized by seeing a grown man in the woman's shower. How did we ever get here? Unbelievable. I agree. This, these are disgusting people. There's no way this makes sense. Now here, I, act, I completely agree with this. Here is how this should be handled, even though they don't, won't, this won't move them at all because they think you're a bigot by saying this, but this is the truth. Oh, I swear I downloaded that. Here, I'll play it right here. Earl, members of the board, my name is Craig Schubert. I'm the mayor of this city. The mayor. It has come to my attention that your educators are distributing essentially what is child pornography in the classroom. I've spoken to a judge this evening. She's already confirmed that. So I'm going to give you a simple choice. You either choose to resign from this board of education or you will be charged. Thank you. I love it. Right? No more. I'm done. That's it. Right? You, you will have charges on your desk if you don't resign because you are distributing child pornography under the guise of transgender ideology. Right? That's the government or the mayor. That's, that's important. I think we're going to see more of this because a, an honest judge would be like, obviously, this is pornographic. It's weird. I swear I downloaded that. It's weird. That's weird. Anyway. Oh, it is right there. Could you guys hear that when I played? board. My name is Craig Schubert. I'm the mayor of this city. It has come to my attention that your educators are distributing essentially what is child pornography in the classroom. I've spoken to a judge this evening. She's already confirmed that. So I'm going to give you a simple choice. You either choose to resign from this board of education or you will be charged. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the way to do this. Because, they, I mean, guys, there's no legal account. There, there's no evidence to back up what they're doing. And that's why these people are running, closing clinics in real time. It's very obvious. Now, here's where this gets really frustrating, because it's just like other examples of things where they're pushed on children and they pretend it's not happening. As this person points out, in the 90s, Joe Camel, remember the camel on the pack of cigarettes, for those who don't remember, it's not necessarily important. It's just a brand of a camel that was on cigarettes and was banned in advertising when California sued them and proved that he had the same brand recognition as Disney among children. That is not an accident, guys. They know children are an untapped market with a lot of these things. Since then, it has been well documented that marketing campaigns with bright flowery colors and cartoonish designs uniquely appeal to kids. 
And there's been a concerted effort to prevent this kind of predatory marketing to kids, especially when products that like this are inherently harmful to them. So what in the actual F, he writes, is Dr. Martin's, this uh, looks like these shoes, I think, doing here with this monstrosity of a shoe? Why does a major fashion brand have a cartoonish love bombed depiction of a woman with a self-harm scars in the place where her healthy breasts are supposed to be? Promoting child mutilation is pretty interesting marketing decision. This is absolutely no different whatsoever than a shoe with bright, colorful depictions of a happy, fun-loving teen with cutting scars all over their body, which, by the way, has already happened. I just saw an ad in the UK with a person with cut scars all over their arms and up and down, then with scars under their breasts, promoting that, promoting mental illness. That's incredible. Or an, an emaciated anorexic girl, smiling and happy, surrounded by love and rainbows. Look at this. They're, sell, they're, they're marketing these shoes with, and, and look, you know, you know I, I actually argue that those are, the cuts on her arm are that. That's what I think that is. And then you got the cuts under the breasts. That's, I mean, that's incredible. Not only is there no evidence to support what they're supporting right there, but that's disgusting. You're, you're, I mean, why would you do that? You're saying here, let's, let's promote gender dysphoria, even though we're treating it because of the problem that we're helping people for, but yay, you can do it too. How do you not see why this is wrong? Here's another example. Costa Express, Costa Coffee is getting in on the act. Apparently, child mutilators are the hot new demographic. Look at this. I can't believe this. Now, the point is you, you make your voices heard. You want to boycott a product? Well, here's where you start. My God. Now, here is a really important video. Now, it looks, we're, we're obviously going to go past three hours, I think, but I did my best. There was too much to say in this, guys. There's so much to talk about, but I know most of you don't mind. It's more for the people that are new to the show. But this is a really important clip. This is actually really powerful. P-S-H-E, which I guess is the acronym, I think she says in here, for the, the kind of programming school education doctrine for all of this, and it's about sexual education. As, they, as currently taught, this person, it says, is unlawful and criminal. Well, I agree with her. Because we're in uncharted territory. They're pushing things that are completely baseless with no evidence. So there's clearly an agenda. But thank God people like her are speaking up. Reclaim the Media posted this. 13,000 views 13 days ago. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you very much for coming today. Uh, Lawrence mentioned that I was the more serious one, and sadly that is the case. Um, and I do want to emphasise the seriousness of this occasion um, without wanting to uh, be a party pooper. It is actually with a very, very heavy heart that I make this address, and I take no pride in making it, and I am not excited about this event. I am saddened. Our schools are breaking the law, and as a result, they are breaking our children. They are breaking children physically and mentally, and this is being done via something called PSHE, which stands for Personal, Social, Health and Economic Education, but it doesn't, does it? PSHE, let us be clear, is not a real subject. Nobody knows what it actually consists of. It is mandated by statute to be taught, but there is no agreement in the country as to what part of it is mandatory, the thing they call relationships, and what part of it parents can object to and withdraw their kids from, the thing they call sex. 
Government policies have, over the years, amalgamated relationships and sex education into a sticky blob. And because schools don't know what it means or how to teach it, they throw their hands up in the air and pay companies posing as charities to teach it for them. Companies funded, to a large extent, by the taxpayer. Me, you, parents, the public. And none of us have any say in what goes on in PSHE lessons. Many of us have no idea what is taught in PSHE. So I'm going to tell you. And that report that you have, with a copy of our bill, will also tell you. What goes on in PSHE is child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual. It is child exploitation, and it is child indoctrination. There, I said it. As currently practiced and taught, it is all of these things, and therefore, even though technically it is legally mandated, as practiced, it is against the good laws of this country, laws that exist to protect children and uphold the child's and the parent's right to a family life, which is protected under Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. So let's be clear, it is our case at the Bad Law Project and Reclaim Education that PSHE is not just poorly taught or badly overseen or misguided or in need of revision or reform. It is unlawful and possibly criminal, and it must be abolished. The Bad Law Project was founded to support the implementation of good law in this country and call out and condemn political ideologies disguised as law, usually as equality and human rights law, political ideologies which have never been debated or scrutinised in Parliament, which have no statutory backing or public mandate. Reclaim Education was founded to reclaim education from political lobby groups and put accountability back into teaching practice. Families have a legal jurisdiction over their children and no amount of wordplay about LGBTQIA plus rights changes that legal jurisdiction. It is parents. It, it, is, it, it, it is parents who care unconditionally about their children, not money-making schemers and not government. The state is a terrible parent. Go and look at any children's care home in any country at any period of history and exactly. see how children fare compared with growing up in a family that they can call their own. But the pedagogical philosophy practiced in PSHE today is, what do parents know? Why is this happening? Well, this is my opinion, my personal opinion. The removal of children from the influence of loving parents at younger and younger ages makes them more susceptible to influence from third parties who have vested interests in promoting ideas and lifestyles to children for political or financial gain, as well as, I must say, for sexual gratification. What else is the relentless promotion in PSHE of something called gender identity? The heinous proposition that a child can be born in the wrong body and can literally buy a new identity with assistance from the third sector. The child is asked to question constantly whether he or she feels okay and told you may not feel okay. Do you hate your body? Do you hate your adolescent body? Take another name, use a different pronoun, talk to a trusted adult about your intimate thoughts, not your parents. Don't trust or talk to your parents. 
pause puberty, get skin grafts, take cross-sex hormones, bind your breasts, go online, seek out strangers who can help you, and let us know if you want to talk. If you have a sexual experience you want to talk about, if you hate your body, talk to us. Talk to us. This is PSHE. And the Bad Law Project and Reclaim Education intend to build momentum as part of our campaign to abolish it altogether in schools. It is the primary vehicle through which the third sector preys on young people, frankly, in the manner of a religious cult. And there are multiple ways that we intend to pursue this campaign. Firstly, we will keep pushing our draft schools and parental rights bill in this House until politicians get the memo that the public need them to hear. The promotion of gender identity and social and medical transitioning in schools is unlawful. It is political indoctrination, as Andrew mentioned, in breach of the Education Act. It is a violation of basic safeguarding. The Equality Act 2010 is being misrepresented by the charity sector, by charlatans posing as educators, so that now trans or gender identity is treated as a protected characteristic under equality and anti-discrimination law. There is no such thing as trans or gender identity in law. There is gender reassignment, which is entirely different, and as Andrew also mentioned, a procedure available to persons of 18 and over. Schools have no business promoting the idea to minors under 18 that their healthy bodies need medical intervention and pretending that this is some sort of diktat of the Equality Act. And our bill makes that crystal clear. Secondly, we are going to sue the Department for Education. Bad Law Project is preparing a class action brought by parents who will for the time being have to remain anonymous due to the pathetic state of free speech in this so-called democracy and because of risks to their personal security and their children's well-being were their identities to be publicised. These are parents whose children have been encouraged at school to socially or medically transition at considerable cost to both the children's and the family's mental and physical well-being. The parents are seeking to bring a joint claim in negligence against the department for actively promoting gender identity in schools, which we will define as gender ideology, and for failing to act on foreseeable harms caused by said ideology, and for allowing schools, local authorities and charities to politically indoctrinate children and ignoring and dismissing complaints brought to their attention by suffering parents. The premise of our case is simple. Where there is incompetence in child safeguarding by public authorities, including the Department for Education, there is liability in negligence. The Department has failed to uphold its duty of care towards children in schools, a duty that is rooted in its public law powers. It has failed to prevent political indoctrination in breach of the Education Act 1996. I'm coming to a close, but finally... There is the question of sexual exploitation of children, which I haven't addressed yet, but it is chronicled in the report. PSHE providers are increasingly obsessed with engaging schoolchildren in discussions about sexual arousal, sexual stimulation, sexual pleasure, touching and being touched. 
They are showing kids graphic sexual images that are designed clearly to excite and titillate. The Bad Law Project is currently engaged in consultations with criminal legal specialists as to whether some of these materials meet the NSPCC's definition of non-contact child sex abuse and whether PSHE lessons as taught may be criminal offences under the Sexual Offences Act 2003. And so... And so, and I think this is what I really want to hammer home today, we are today putting schools, educational authorities and PSHE providers on notice, here and now, that there is strict liability for sexual offences committed against a child. And we say that PSHE activities conducted in the guise of robust sex education do meet the criminal threshold, particularly in respect of teaching children how to masturbate. I am very glad that uh, Lawrence introduced uh, the word abolition. Uh, The Bad Law Project has made the radical case for abolishing PSHE in our report. Like Theresa May, Liz Truss, Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson, we say at some point PSHE will have to go because it is simply legally, socially and morally untenable. And if that sounds too radical too naive for some of you. Let me end with a historical lesson and direct you to the Hansard records of a debate in this house that took place on the 20th of July 1965 on the abolition of the death penalty bill, Hansard volume 268, during which debate the Earl of Longford stated, hanging is not only wicked but useless and unnecessary. I submit that there is no excuse for manufacturing any moral dilemma here. The time has at last come when all the old arguments for hanging are seen to be threadbare, based on absolutely unsupported assumptions on pure fiction. The way is at last clear for a type of justice and of mercy of which we shall one day be abundantly in need ourselves. That bill was passed in the same year, 1965, and no executions occurred in the United Kingdom thereafter, although two men had been hanged the previous year. A practice regarded as morally abhorrent was practically abolished overnight. And if it is put to me that this is an um, irresponsible analogy to make between the teaching of PSHE and hanging a human being, I say they are different things, but morally the concerns are equal. I will, cite by, uh, I will end by citing one anonymous parent in our class action case, whose daughter with autism spectrum disorder left the family home after being encouraged to become a boy and adopt different pronouns by her school without the mother's knowledge or consent and against the recommendations of a therapist. Since her daughter moved away, the mother has developed symptoms of trauma, including suicidal thoughts, and she told me, I feel like my daughter is dead, but I don't know where her grave is. I would like to thank all the parents for their dignity and their courage in sharing their stories with us and for trusting us to do right by them to the best of our abilities. And we ask that you all please consider donating to the crowdfunder at democracy3.org so that we can protect them uh, against costs risks in bringing this case. And may I also thank Claire Page and Caroline Fisk, who can't be here today but Claire Page is there, for their invaluable assistance in preparing this report. And thank you all for coming on behalf of all children and young people currently at risk. Thank you. How powerful.
right? I, I'm not that familiar with the platform. So, you know, I just by based on what she said and the way she presented it, they deserve your support. I'll tell you that right now. But again, I don't know the platform, so I'm not sure I want to say that. But either way, it, observe, it looks like something that I that would be something we should entertain and engage with. But if, if, it, if that's an indication of what they're doing, then hell yeah. I mean, that, that's a powerful, well, fat, well thought out, well sourced. Everything she said, you can back up with facts. Now here, you know, especially for those in the chat, is a teacher involved with this who is speaking up and saying, you know, I can no longer stay anonymous. I've, I've been is involved with this and I want to speak on the damages that this is doing to children. Here's what he has to say posted this a long time ago, but hopefully by the end of the video, you'll understand my hesitation. I've been a teacher for seven years, and I've loved most of every second of it. Yeah, the grading is annoying, the pay is low, the classes are overfilled, but I love having seeing the students learn, grow, and make those connections, those having those aha moments. And I used to think that being a teacher was pretty straightforward, pretty self-explanatory. Teach kids how to read, teach kids how to write, teach kids history, have students question authority, narratives, and paradoxes. Ah, well, he's a very unique teacher, I'll tell you that. If more teachers taught that, we would be a better country, right? I mean, that's that's important, but whether who knows if it's real or not, but I love that. Like, if see people actually, like, this is what a real teacher should do. You know, teach the teach the 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 curriculum, otherwise you won't have a job, but then, you know, inform them. Be like, but, you know, here, you should think for yourself. Feel free to question this information and research it for yourself. That's what a real teacher does. So I love that. And let the students connect the dots on their own. Exactly. Let the students come to their own conclusions about things. Hey, because that's how you actually gain intelligence, not just regurgitating and repeating what other people have said, but by learning why they reached those conclusions. That doesn't really happen in school anymore. It's all memorization and regurgitation because we're being trained. At the very way for those that's not a hyperbolic statement that our entire school system if you want to look it up it's based on a prussian model with a p james corbis don't work on this it literally was outlined to produce obedient workers same with our medical system our entire medical system is quite literally based on a triage system from wartime you know what that means it's designed to get you just healthy enough to get you back out on the field seems pretty apt doesn't it Minimum. My job is to teach students that history is very, very complicated because people are very, very complicated. But what's happening nowadays is that there's a push to indoctrinate kids. There's a push to sexualize children and there's a push to separate kids from families to, to either directly or indirectly sever those ties, have kids dislike their parents, dislike their family, and have parental power be transferred from the parents to some sort of state authority. Teachers, school districts, principals, superintendents, uh, state congresspeople, CPS, whatever you want to call it. And as a teacher, I can't agree to that. I can't say yes to that. I'm not going to be used as an agent to confuse kids because that's literally the opposite of what teachers are supposed to do. We're not supposed to confuse kids. And that's what's happening. But exactly. this speaks to something greater, I think. The United States is falling apart. I don't know how I feel about teaching the history of a dying empire and not standing up and doing something more to stop it. It feels like I'm stuck within those four walls fighting back this oppressive wave that's sweeping over the country of 
depression, of pessimism, of despair, nihilism, fatalism, Gnosticism. Now, I'm going to go and leave it there just because, you know, we're already past three hours, but you, you should watch the rest of the video. I mean, the, the main point here is that this is a person speaking out about this. This is not just, you know, by all means, you, based on what he's saying, it's pretty clear he's probably a Democrat, right? Or maybe sees through all of it. I don't know. But you, based on general points, it doesn't appear that he is lining with the right side of a lot of the conversation. Yet he's willing to speak up and say this is a problem. You know why? Because it doesn't take a left or right mentality to realize that doing this is wrong. It's just so obvious that this is something that is not fleshed out, that there's not enough evidence, and in fact has already been proven for the next point to be dangerous. The NHS is now going, yep, we're wrong. There's not enough evidence. But that's always been the case. That's not some new development. Before we get to that, don't forget that I just showed you this 45 times. This is from the this is from 2022. The point was that the leading group, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, WPATH, is on the record, three people from the organization speaking up and saying, we're doing this, we're being too rash with this. Saying, this is one of the psychologists saying, resigned her post from a, as a board member of the WPATH, literally saying, voicing concerns about sloppy treatment with kids, avoiding counseling, going right to treatment. Why don't we care about that? One of the craziest ones, Dr. Marcy Bowers, the president-elect of the leading transgender group in the world also raised concerns about hasty treatment for children. How do, as a matter, it blows me away that we can have the leading group on the record, three people, including the president, going, yeah, we're not doing this right, and yet we get brushed right over and called conspiracy theorists and, you know, transphobes, as people in the chat are saying. Think about how wild that is. Do they not trust the president of the leading group? Who, by the way, she's still, even the one that resigned her board post, still works there because she believes in the overall point, but believes that there's a momentum that is allowing kids to get hurt. And the people that are refusing to acknowledge that are guilty by association or by choice. It's up to you because that's happening. The treating kids as young as five is, oh, I mean, it can go on forever. The point, here's another one. There's a pediatrician raising concerns about the increasing number of youngsters who are getting treatment said too many in the field are jumping the gun, argues there isn't strong evidence in favor of this treatment for kids. Truth. Of course, she got attacked because it was too early to say that, but now we're all hearing the same thing. Now, I'm going to skip over this one for time, but read it. It's very interesting. No college psychology credit for Florida high schoolers after clash over teaching about gender. Now, the way this is framed is, you know, backward Florida white supremacies or whatever, basically saying you're not only removing the rights of these trans kids. It's not what's happening. What this is, is Florida saying the things you're adding to this, is no, we, that's not allowed. It's the same course it's always been. And then it's like, you're growing, you're changing. No, no, the one who's changing everything is by what, like you just heard her say, by forcing in this stuff into the curriculum that's already there. So what it basically says is, well, we're removing that. It's still allowed. You can still take the course. It's allowed for, but this, it's only the original psychology course. And guess what happened? It was the... Um, forget the name of the group, the, the college board steps up and says, oh yeah, well then we're not going to allow anyone to take it. Okay. So who's being immature there? Just, and look, they may think it's wrong for him to do that, but so you're going, well, no one can take it unless you allow it to be the way we want it to be. Of course, they frame that as the full course, but that's not, this is the new version of what we're doing, right? This is only new since this whole thing has started. So ultimately they kind of pull back on that and go, okay, fine. They can take it. What's interesting is as it says here after clash, they may be available to take it. 
But here's what it seems like to me. It seems like they're going, yeah, fine. We can, you can take the full class. And that's Florida thinking in the full class, the way it always was. And these people hear it as the full class, including the new thing. It's very strange. The point is the group was going to stop people who needed this to graduate from even taking the course, unless they allowed them to teach the gender ideology within it. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And that is ridiculous. You're hurting people so you can push what you think should be taught, which is new. And maybe you're right. Let's put it that way. I disagree. But you're hurting people because of what you want, not because of what's best for people taking these courses. Now, here's a really alarming thing that I just had to include. Alex Bernison points out, here's the actual study, lethal necrotizing cellulitis caused by ESBL producing E. coli after the vaginoplasty. Doctors tried to make a vagina out of a colon. Sounds like a bad joke, except the patient died horribly. You know why? Because this is Frankenstein science, if you can even call it science. There's nothing to back this up in, in the peer-reviewed literature, and they're doing it anyway, to children in some cases. That's not a joke. Well, maybe you could say adolescents, but there are cases of people, young children, who have gone through these surgeries. You've already proven that. It's, it is much more rare than everything else. Thank God, but it is happening. Mostly these are young girls and adolescents that are going through this at this point. Now, what has happened to medicine, he writes? Very soon, we will look at these trans surgeries the way we view lobotomies and for depression, right? The shocking violation of the Hippocratic Oath. They pretended was okay. How this works. Well, here's the most important point. Hannah Barnes frames this, one of the personal points out in a minute. NHS England yesterday published more details on plans to allow young people with early onset gender dysphoria to be prescribed puberty blockers. Well, it's not even the right way to frame that, first of all. Here's what it actually says. Here's the document itself. There was a, it just came out. It's right here. There's a October. Well, they respond by October, 2023. Where's the date where it came out? It doesn't matter. It just came out. Here's what it says under evidence, the evidence on puberty. It's puberty blockers. What PH, PH, uh, PSH stands for. Puberty suppressing hormones. Did I pass it? There it is. The evidence. Cut to the chase. The quality of evidence for all these outcomes was assessed by very low certainty. That's the first, I mean, that's, let's keep going. There remains limited short-term and long-term safety data for puberty. We're just, we're on the puberty blockers. We're not even at the hormone treatments or surgeries, God forbid, because that's even worse. It says, however, Puberty, let's just say puberty blockers, may reduce the expected increase of lumbar or femoral femur bone density. Yeah, we know that. We've been screaming about that. So people like uh, the, gosh darn it, I, was, um, I hate that I forget these people's names. The one from Matt Walsh's documentary, the the one that got famous, he, he made the joke, she made the joke about her. He, I forget which way it goes, but the point is speaking up about this. And he was the one that called out bone density problems all over the place. Children walking hunched over repeated infections all over the place. And they're finally going, yes. So let me ask you this. Why were you allowing it so far? Are you really telling me that you didn't do any of this research before allowing children to mutilate their bodies, before allowing clinics to be set up to do so, before brought, running roughshod over everyone's conversation and forcing you to do it, otherwise you're a bigot? How did this even happen if we now retroactively go, oh yeah, no evidence for it? Okay, that's a crime, guys. There's no way to pretend this is like, oh, we're just finally figuring it out. No. It says there remains short-term evidence. There may, it says puberty blockers may reduce the bone density. Then it goes on to say new NHS England has carefully considered the evidence review conducted by NICE, their group, 
Any subsequent evidence found in the follow-up literature surveillance, further evidence suggested during stakeholder testing, as well as the interim recommendations of the CAST review, and has concluded that there is not enough evidence to support safety, clinical effectiveness, and cost effectiveness of puberty blockers to make the treatment routinely available at this time. Oops. The U.S. doesn't care. U.S. is going way further than that. Now they're going, sorry, there's no evidence. So why were you doing it this far? NHS England recommends that puberty blockers for children and young people with gender incongruence and dysphoria should only be assessed through research. Oh my God, you mean you should study it before you give it out? What a novel idea. Right? Who's accountable for this? Where are the government people going to prison? Because this just happened and now they're now today going, guess what? We're going to study this to make sure it's safe. Guess what? Shocker, it's not safe and it's hurting people. It's incredible. Here's another study in case you wanted to see it. This is a brand new study, April 2023. Here's what it says. The question, do the benefits of youth gender transition outweigh the risks of harm? Remains unanswered because of a particularly a paucity of follow-up data. So no data. So at the very least, they're saying we don't have enough evidence to say one way or the other, but let's keep doing it though. Sounds like COVID injections, just like the point we made before. The conclusions of the systematic reviews after this of evidence for adolescents are consistent with long-term adult studies, which failed to show credible improvements in mental health and suggested a pattern of treatment-associated harms. Look at that. So the point also is that there is some level of evidence that shows harm. And all they do is point at overlapping broad, not real studies, statements by people involved in the community saying that I feel better after this. Saying that, you know, that, that's all you got. Observational at best. And everything we have shows that it's hurting people. Here's a new one. Not only failed to show that it's even helping in the way that they put mental health, stopping suicide, which is not even really the point with the whole point to get in there. But then it says treatment associated harms. Yeah, obviously. Three papers, recent papers, examined the studies that underpin the practice of youth gender transition and found the research to be deeply flawed. Shocking. It's the ones we were just pointing at, the ones that aren't really studies that they all say are studies that prove this. Standards of care. Evidence does not support the notion that affirmative care of today's adolescents is net beneficial. Another net harm. Questions about how to best care for the rapidly growing number of gender dysphoric youth generate an intensity of diversiveness divisiveness, excuse me, within and outside of medicine, rarely seen with other clinical uncertainties. You know why? Politics. Because if it was just about science and medicine, well, they would have went along with the scientific research. But no, you got divided in between experts because people went along with the political narratives, just like COVID, because that's where this is coming from. The, the, the reason that's easy to do to people. Because the future well-being of young patients and their families is at stake, the field must stop relying on social justice arguments and return to time-honored principles of evidence-based medicine. Thank God. But your government doesn't care. Biden doesn't care. NHS, by the way, it's still happening, which is very strange to me, despite what they just said. Check this out. This is after that report. The Stark Naked Brief writes, meet NHS England boss. Amanda Pritchard, which we've talked about. Under her watch, NHS England recently set the age limit of seven, seven years old for gender identity referrals. 
after the closure of Tavistock. So they closed this because it's hurting people because there's a whole rife. The reason that closed is because they were being sued for reasons you want to completely understand. Now NHS comes out and goes, well, there's not even enough evidence to do this. So we're going to reserve it for research. And they argue the let that we'll just raise the limit from three to seven. You okay with that? No, not at all. According to a number of studies, seven-year-olds only start to process complex sentences, realizing that words can have more than one meaning. So let's start jamming gender ideology down their throats, right? Well, here's what it says in regard to the article that was written about this two days ago. Children age seven to be given treatment. Well, here's the question. What do they mean by that? Well, obviously, we all hear that. and We think what they've been framing as the entire treatment, puberty blockers, treat surgeries. Of course, they always skip right over the counseling, which is supposed to be number one. Now, now it's going back to that is the point. Children age seven could be offered transgender treatment at this clinic, but it says a new service founded to replace the Tavistock Gender Identity Clinic, which was closed after numerous controversies, surprise, surprise, will limit the use of puberty blockers and ban activists and teachers from referring children for treatment. So what's really alarming, though, is that to a slim degree, this is still going. That's concerning as hell to me, because it's, even if you think some of this might be justified, it's still kind of based on the foundation of something that's dishonest. So I'm not okay with that right now, as much as this is counseling, it seems, but I promise you there are people within this industry that are still going to be like, okay, now get them into the next one. We, are, we all see it. The plans seen by the paper state, quote, children under seven years of age may not be expected to have sufficiently developed their intellectual understanding of and comprehension of sex and gender to be able to understand the reasons for and potential consequences of a referral to a specialist gender incongruent service. Oh my God, big surprise. How many times have we been saying this? It's, it's the obvious truth. If you are a child who hasn't gone through puberty, you don't even understand bigger concepts past that sexual understanding or what you'll be when you grow up or what it means to be infertile or not be able to reproduce. But yet you're forcing this. You're teaching them this. You're having conversations with prepubescent children about sexual positions and masturbation. That's not okay. They don't understand what's going on and you're affecting their growth mentally, physically, everything. That traumatizes kids. Previously, there had been no minimum age and there was no, there were children as young as three being treated by Tavistock. No wonder it's being closed. Dr. David Bell, consultant psychiatrist and former governor at the Tavistock, who later became a whistleblower about the clinic's work, exactly like the other place. Why can't people see what's going on? He said this, quote, for me, there is a structural problem which needs particular caution. I hope that person in the chat still is paying attention. Referring a child to a gender service, even if they are seen in, con in the context of a multidisciplinary team, in that the mere fact of referral is consequential, quote, it risks the child's difficulties being viewed by themselves and their family as primary to do with gender. Labeling the problem as a gender problem can easily be the first step on the path to medical transition. Exactly. What happens is they make that assessment and then nobody looks back. These kids are looking for any answer because maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're just going through normal puberty issues or child growing up issues where they feel uncomfortable. They don't know what's going on. And you say, it's okay. We'll take all of that away and you'll feel better after this. People go for that, especially when adults who they're told they should trust are telling them it's the right thing. The point is that may not, may be good. They may be helping somebody. In this case, what this expert is telling you who worked there is that was kind of set from the gate. And then it's easily, they end up on that transition stage before you even assess what's really going on. Just like we just showed you, as even the AP and people from that organization are going, yep, we're skipping that step. We're just jumping right into that kind of treatment. 
Reports have said that between 2014, this is mind-blowing, and 2018, 302 children age 14 or under were referred for puberty blockers. Many below the age of puberty, which is disgusting, which means they're, I mean, even 14 plus, like this makes them infertile, largely when they're younger though. And then of course, with the hormones, it's even worse as they've admitted, right? I mean, even for people that might think that's not true. Here are the experts. And the other issue that's a showstopper now for many parents around giving consent to puberty blockers is the fertility issue. That if the child goes straight from puberty blockers directly to cross-sex hormones, they, at this point in history, are pretty much forfeiting uh, their fertility, and so they will not have a genetically related child. Now, she goes on to say, but it's not your choice, parents. You've got to respect their choices when they're children that don't understand what that means. Because that's right. That makes, that's safe, right? That's, that's, what, that's what adults are supposed to do. Lean into these children's choices when they don't understand. Like, it's just, this is backwards. It is gen- Here's what it says right here, though. It is generally accepted now. Are you listening in the chat? It's generally accepted now that puberty blockers affect bone density and potentially cognitive and sexual development. Not potentially. It's very clear it's happening. But the point is it's being it's now slowly being admitted to. Why? I argue because the, the narrative has collapsed. And, and here's the crazy part about it. The way this is being framed by the corporate media is this is an evolving. It's now we're finally seeing the evidence. No, it's always been there. The lack of evidence and what we could prove. And yet you've ignored it. I'll jump ahead really quickly. That's why we see things like this. Or wait, where was it? Yeah, I'll go through it normal, like I always do. There's in there somewhere. There's a BBC article that's the point was that it's being put out. I would argue because now it's coming. People are understanding it now, so they have to act like we're you know evolving. But the point was they were supporting this blindly when there was no evidence. How do you explain that? I think we should all think about that. In 2014, Gids, the Tavistock and Portman Trust Gender Identity Development Service Clinic in Northwest London lowered the prescription age. From, for puberty blockers from 16 to 11. Because the community was saying, well, we got to get them before puberty. That's the only way it works. And of course, making it even worse. Hurting them more, making more infertility, causing more bone problems. In 2017, overall case numbers had risen from just 72 in 2009 to 10 to 1,807 in 2016 and 17. And I showed you this in the other report. Female referrals, they were once just a fraction, now make up 70%. Up from 32 to 1,265. Most young teenage girls, even coming in with their groups. Oh, we're all trans. Yeah, that's called, uh, oh, I forget the term. Social contagion. Not, maybe not everybody, certainly possible, but the point is that's wildly unlikely. The odds of that are astronomical. They're being influenced by their ideology in school and they want, I'm, I'm trans today. Because they're telling them it's a choice. They can decide for themselves and they don't fully understand what that means when they get them into the next step. The number of teenage girls with gender dysphoria, a state of profound discomfort with their biological sex or what we're told they're dealing with, had risen by 5,000% in seven years. Now that's called a, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, what you're, what you're, the bottom line is that's not how this works. You can't pretend that those are all people that just were hiding and suddenly be like, I can now I can admit it. That may be part of it. 
But in any circumstance, whether it's a pharmaceutical test or any kind of study or anything, even they don't do that here, a a 5,000% change is not normal. Something happened there. It doesn't, there's no way that any honest investigator would say, okay, that's an anomaly. There's a problem. We need to find out why that happened. But no way. In these people's minds, it just supports that they're right. Even though now it's all falling apart. Uh, Anastasis, uh, interesting name, a psychotherapist, published a paper taking the lid off the box on a study of 120 young people, two-thirds of them female, who arrived at GIDS adamant that they wanted hormone blockers. But after therapy, they changed their minds. 128 people, all of them given therapy, and they realized, oh, I was mistaken. Now, you could argue they were indoctrinated, but I argue it's the other way around. These people are coming in going, I think I'm trans, and they just give them general therapy, asking them questions, and they come to realize that I'm just confused as a young adult, as most young adults are. That's a normal process, especially puberty. But now they're jumping in and stopping that. And there's also a whole conversation about gay people and lesbian people. Like, can't, like, they're, if, you, if you're gay now and you're growing up gay, they tell you you're trans. We've already gone through this. There's an entire movement of people that are going, you're, you're removing gay and lesbian people. Because they're waking up 20 years later and going, it turns out I was just lesbian and now I want to go back, but I can't. It's all over the place. During therapy, no, look, it doesn't matter what you think about whether I'm right entirely or partly right. The point is, to some degree, you know that's happening. You know it because they're saying it. They're telling you. I don't care if it's 0.1%. You have to acknowledge that and realize this is sloppy right now because it's hurting people. During therapy, common problems emerged. A sense of isolation from peers, ruptured parental relationships, female autism, I told you that, and homophobic bullying. So all these things are leading people to be confused and they drive them into this situation. The point is that even the NHS now is pulling this back, guys. Now here is Hannah Breeze. You can read this for yourself. Oh, that, there's the one I was talking about. So here, she's a producer for BBC. Suddenly cares. Time to think. The inside story of the collapse of the Travistock Gender Service Clinic. Yeah, now you care. Where were you before? The evidence didn't shift as much as that's how you're trying to frame this. Is suddenly there's new evidence. No, it's always been dangerous. It's always been very clear what's going on. You guys just didn't care. Now, let, at the very least, why didn't you care that there was no long-term studies? Suddenly you care? Yeah, you guys are just as accountable for anything else that's happening because you turned your head to it. Now you want to act like we're, we're okay, now we're finding out that it's not, it's not what happened. The problem, though, is that there's people like this. Eli Ehrlich, a radical transgender activist and co-founder of the organization called Trans Students Educational Resources, is a PhD candidate at the University of California for feminist studies and history and consciousness, despite being a biological male and is credited in all leftist corners of the internet as an internationally awarded writer and public speaker. This person is basically saying the larger point. I think I had it. Oh, was it? Did I close that? Oh, well, well I, I remember what the point was. This man is going to give treatments to children without, without allowance, without parents' acknowledgement, secretly giving them this because, because of what's happening now. Because as this collapses and as people are going, okay, wait a minute, it's not safe and we don't know what's going on, this person is writing things like this. I order four times more estrogen and testosterone. Why are you giving this person both? That's a good question because this is completely unregulated. No one cares, it seems. Then I actually take. You should too. Several states now have banned trans medicine for minors. Gee, I wonder why. But we won't let a single young person go without medication. We'll provide a care ourselves if youth can't access this. Oh yeah, those chop up pills on a medicine board. This is getting real legit, isn't it? 
Maybe you can snort it too. That'll make it even better. I mean, this is just outrageous, guys. So this person is openly going, I'm going to steal this and give it to children. And you're a hero in the community. What does that tell you? Here's another person. The Butcher of Miami, they call her. One of the most well-known surgeons who operates on children under the guise of gender-affirming care, Dr. Sidba Gallagher. She is recognized as both a renegade in her field and a human rights disaster in the making. Dr. Gallagher is infamous for her social media content, which misguides children into thinking their bodies are wrong and should consider surgical interventions. I'm not one to usually point out the whole, you know, look at them thing, but, you know, sometimes you can, I get a feeling too. Maybe that's because of what's being read. Who knows? But the point is, these people are pushing this stuff, guys. They are quite literally pushing the idea, and you can look for yourself, I mean, for interest of time, the idea that children should be allowed to alter their bodies. But we've already shown you many of these. We've shown you this one. Here's a one of the girls that have spoken up about this. TikTok brainwashed me into being transgender. Now I'm detransitioning. But ruined her life. Here's an article on BBC from Sheed He and back again. Like it's, a, like it's a funny, quirky story. You guys are disgusting. You've been gaslighting and allowing this to happen. And now you're hiding the story of the guy. Oh, hey, it's okay. They can come back. No, you can't. You can't. You lose everything. Mostly fer- infertile, infections all the time, bone problems, and the body for some people. And the point is, ask any of them. You're not the same person, especially when you realize that you want to go back because you can't go back. That's what they're trying to kind of conflate here. You can't go back. It's not the same. And they're all telling you that. Canadians who reverse gender, because it's happening a lot right now, reverse gender transition, need better care. And you know what happens? They get called a big, oh, you're, you're anti-trans. Why? For wanting to take care of people that want to go back? Yeah, that's happening, guys. Because if you, if you dare to pretend that they need to go back, well, you're anti-trans. What, you're not okay being trans? No, they got fooled into being in the first place. Some of them. So here people speak up and say they need better care. And they're going, shut up. Because they care about people, right? Don't they exist? Aren't they real human beings? I thought you guys were accepting of everyone's perspective and their own. They, what, no, if they want to go back, well, they're bad people now. How does that make sense with the ideology? Three teens who thought they were trans explain why the detransition, you can listen for yourself. It's happening all over the place. Transgender de-street detransition surgery is on the rise. Good. They can make money both ways. Hooray. That's what's happening. The same people are doing the reverse surgeries and they're making tons of money. Here's another breakdown by the Atlantic, another group that's promoting this and now going, oh, hey, let's be sympathetic about the thing that we hid from everybody. It's disgusting. Here's another point that really kind of gets under my skin. Here's Katie Montgomery, a trans person. Here's the article from New York Post. Ex-University Pennsylvania teammate had nightmares for weeks after sharing locker room with Leah Thomas. Okay, so the point is this woman was forced to share a locker room with a man, okay? And it's saying she has nightmares about that. Well, that's not hard to understand. How do, what if this woman was raped growing up and has a very hard time being around men, especially when they're naked? Oh, we don't care about that today. Trust women. Shut up, Ryan. You're not the, you're a different time. <laughs> Think about how disgustingly hypocritical all this is. Doesn't she, does, what, like it used to be the biggest thing in the world. Like 30 seconds ago, you have to respect the fact that her, you know, not today, they cut, they, they jumped the sharp, moving to hold the conversation. Women don't even count anymore. Not the, no, the real women count. It's just ridiculous. The point is this person expresses her feelings and says, I feel traumatized. Guess what this person says? When I was at a school for swimming, they had us all, boys and girls and everyone else, 
just get chained together in the same classroom. First of all, I can promise you, promise you, unless they lived in some weird, disgusting place, that's not true. I mean, guys, <clears throat> uh, today especially, I mean, even, even like maybe in the context of the transgender community, maybe, but like, you know, in the last, since 2000, that's, that's obviously not going to happen. But what's weird is if you go back even further, it's even less likely. Are you really going to pretend that they had young girls and young boys? I mean, well, first of all, we're not, we're talking about uh, like, this isn't elementary school, right? They're talking about the, the point, the bottom line is either way to argue that you're going to have boys and girls getting naked changing into their swimsuits next to each other. Like, that's just stupid. I know that's not true. But let's just pretend, give her the benefit of the doubt. Either way, what he says next is stupid. He, excuse me, says, I didn't like it at all. Would have preferred cubicles. Managed not to have nightmares. Sounds made up. What happened to believe women, Katie? You hypocrite. Well, here's the first point, though, or second point, actually. Managed not to have nightmares. I prefer cubicles. So what, you're, you're, you're now sh- trauma shaming? Are you literally shaming this person for saying they were traumatized? Well, I wasn't traumatized when I was four. Well, maybe because you've got a problem. I mean, just think about how wild that is and how completely undermining that is of everything you're pushing with this whole movement. But yet, because this person somehow argues that you what happened here was a problem because that makes you feel insecure about what you are, suddenly you're attacking a woman for claiming she feels traumatized for something that used to be one of the biggest stories we would protect. Lene says, how have 5,000 people believed this shocking lie? You really do prey on people. Shameful. The lie about women and young girls and boys changing together. It's just ridiculous. Katie says, what the actual F are you talking about? Why would I lie about this? How desperate delusional are you? Yeah, that sounds like projection to me, but I, what do I know? Lene says, name the school. <laughs> Crickets, of course. Wendy says, I'm trying to imagine what village has a pool. <laughs> right? It's just, anyway, it's just, this whole thing is so silly. Here is what this person wrote. Same person. This is Katie Montgomery. No one actually believes that cis is a slur. Here's why they pretend to. Exactly. Okay, so you're deciding what I'm offended by? Isn't that entirely contradictory to everything this movement pushes? I'm offended by that. I I find that offensive. I'm saying this to make a point. I frankly don't care, but let's just say somebody out there who probably does, because by the way, it is obviously a derogatory term. It's obvious. Like when they have shirts that literally say, and, and sis, or it's all over the place. They see it as it, many of them use it as a pejorative. Okay. That's very clear. So somebody's offended by that and rightly so, but she writes, he writes this article saying no one believes it's a slur. So we're not allowed to have our own feelings. We're not allowed to feel offended She's not allowed to feel traumatized by your penis in the shower. That's not, but everything, but everything else is accepted no matter how crazy it is. You see how wild this is? And it's just like a lot of the other situations. You could take the racism situations. You're a white person. You're not allowed. You are racist no matter what. Black people aren't allowed to be racist. That's really stupid because racism, everybody can have racism. It's about being, feeling that races are one superior than the other. So yes, obviously. The problem is that they only project this in a very politicized way, and it shows you who the real problem is. I just find this insulting in every possible way. And it's contradictory, it's hypocritical, and it's a double standard. But these people are driving politics today. Now, here's another example of that. 
when I first saw this, I wasn't sure because there's a lot of these examples where these, not that I don't argue these people have every right to do what they're going to do and read their scripture, but there was, there's all, a lot of examples where they'll go out and they'll try to cause an event or, you know, again, even though they have the right to do it, read the passages, they'll try to get people to freak out. And then, you know, the, the police come out and say they're causing a scene and blah, blah, blah. All that aside, they're allowed to do that. But that's not what happened here. I find this one most important and I'm more than happy. This is one that I think we need to highlight because what he did was read regular scripture. Nothing that had to do with, you know, you're not allowed to be gay or whatever. Just regular scripture that had nothing to do with it. And he got arrested. Why is that? Right? At a place where people are stripping and showing their their naked bodies and he's standing out there reading scripture. Now, first of all, you have a right to free speech a right to religion. And clearly free speech involves reading, right? You can't just pretend because religion, well, people can do that all over the place in other contexts. You could argue what this is on the transgender side of this is clearly cultish and God and, and religious-like, religion-like or, you know, cult-like. But here, listen, here's what he has to say. This guy is a very well-measured and intelligent person. Listen to what he says. Guys, I hope you're all doing good tonight. I just wanted to ask a simple question. I know, you know, a Nazi group showed up at the event Saturday and people were talking about that. And I just wanted for all of us to really think about this. What's wrong with Nazism? Like, seriously, what's wrong with Nazism? Because imagine for a moment that there is no God above us, no hell below us, no heaven to live for, as John Lennon wanted to imagine. If we are truly the result of evolved stardust and our ancestors were fish and were the descendants of monkeys, then where do we find our value as human beings? What's wrong with Nazism? Unless if you understand that the God of Scripture says that we are made in his image. And so to murder innocent people is a violation to God's commands. As a Christian, I can say that Nazis, what the Nazis did in Nazi Germany was completely horrific and that they should have been resisted. In fact, the, the number one people group that resisted the Nazis were Christians. I love the way he started this because it probably freaked people out. <laughs> like we're talking about how Nazis are good. That's not at all what he was doing. I'm even willing to bet you somebody will clip this out of context to make it sound like I'm supporting that. But the point is, he's trying to make a point here, you know, saying, well, what's wrong about it? Right? Why do you find it offensive? His point is because you could argue from a moral standpoint that murdering people and what they did is abhorrent. And that's why you sh- that's why they're bad. That's why Nazism is bad. Not, you know, not because of political ideology. They, you know, the way they're kind of framed things today is where he's going with this. That, that, and the argument is if you don't allow the belief in God or religion, and you guys can disagree with this, that ultimately you might you perceive things morals in a different way. Now, I'm not necessarily, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I tend to think that what's right and wrong is kind of inherent. But I do believe that out like Christianity or other religions outline morality, you know, what you're, what you should, how you should treat other people and so on. So as he goes forward, I just want to say that it's funny. Even people in the chat probably thought, Whoa, what <laughs> he's promoting Nazi. No, it's not what he's doing. And the, and the reason why and as he said right there, Christians were the largest force against Nazis. The reason why was because they had a worldview that says that people are made in God's image and that they have worth and value. That's why Nazism is wrong. But if we're going to reject the Christian worldview, then we can't hold on to the fruit that comes from the Christian worldview while denying the actual foundation. Intolerance is an interesting word. Tolerance, intolerance, hatred, love, bigotry, things like that. Because really every culture has something that it's intolerant towards 
and something that it's tolerant of. I mean, there are things like murder and rape and, and you know, stealing and, and just crimes that we are intolerant towards as a society. And, and so every society has something it's intolerant towards. The question is just, what is our object of intolerance and what is our object of tolerance? When I showed up Saturday, all I did was read from Scripture on the sidewalk. I read from the Bible, Galatians. And by the way, I wasn't reading Romans 1. I wasn't reading any passage that spoke against homosexuality or anything like that. I was reading a passage from the Bible about love. And I was arrested. Think about that. No reason, not given any warning, not told anything about my amplification needing to be turning down. I was arrested and taken into custody simply for reading the Bible on the sidewalk. You see, as we become more and more tolerant of sexual immorality in our culture, we become more and more intolerant towards Christian morality. And the more, and quite frankly, this might this will probably bother some people. I would make the same argument of any religion reading these things, or you know, largely like any like not Scientology. I guess see that makes it kind of hypocritical to be quite honest, but not Scientology or something like that. But you know, like re- realistically, just the same way we argue that you know there's crazy parts of the Bible that we argue are archaic. It's the same kind of game that gets played when you want to frame. You know, people that are Muslims or so on. The bottom line is that the people have the right to to express their religious ideas, even if it seems contentious. Or you can't, you know, call, you know, reading the gay passage, I would argue, has every right to do that. Or, you know, the passage pointing out that it might be wrong. The point here is that you could argue that, you know, a, a Jew standing out there reading, reading about Judaism or, or, or any other. It's why that is a problem for people is kind of crazy to me. You could walk away. Right. But see, the issue is now the, the legal system and, and politics have been mobilized against the whatever stands against the current agenda. That's what really this is about for me. The more we become intolerant towards Christian morality, the more we're going to see lawlessness in our streets. The more we become intolerant of Christian morality, the more we're going to see Nazis. Now, I'm, I'm a Christian, as you guys know, but I would really frame this as just morality. Right. The more we become intolerant of morality, that's the point he's making. But I understand it from a Christian perspective, but I know a lot of people aren't, and so I just want to make that clear. The idea is just simply that, you know, if we become, if, you know, repug- it becomes repugnant, like we look at morality and we think that's the problem, well, this is where we seem to be leading right now. The more we're going to see people who don't hold to a Christian worldview, who think that everybody is a result of animals, and therefore if we are animals, then why can't we just act like animals? There is a level of that happening right now. And I'm not even just talking about the trans movement, like Malthusianism, like or, uh, uh, Malthusianist or rather a Malthusian, uh, like a Keynesian kind of mindset, or really the whole back and forth of both sides. The bottom line is you can have this concept of ultimately that through immorality, you can find prosperity or, you know, it's really abstract, but that's really what both sides of the two-party paradigm tie back to, this Malthusian kind of mindset. And that's where it really comes from. And they, ultimately, people are acting like these things are what, you know, like, for instance, you know, that's how men are supposed to act or so on. Like, there's all these different parts of it. But what it really amounts to is pretending you don't care about hurt, hurting people for your best interest or, you know, the way that our foreign policy conducts itself. It's all about freedom and then you murder a lot of people. As long it's That's what this all comes down to. We were called a hate group. We were told that we don't want to understand the other side. And I just want to set the record straight. I am more than happy to have that conversation with the other side. I did speech and debate throughout high school, and one of the things that we were taught in debate is that you can't make an argument for your side until you're able to make the argument for the other side. I've sat down and had hours of discussions with LGBTQ activists. I completely understand the other side. I want to understand the other side. But drag queens twerking on kids in lingerie is unacceptable, and that's something that we have to notice as a culture.
We can have our disagreements, but there comes a time when we have to understand that we are all going to stand before God one day, and we're going to have to give an account for what we have done with the children in our society, the innocent minds and the children who deserve to be protected. Thank you. Well said, man. I mean, the point, too, is, you know, as always, they'll try to make it out to be, you know, not everyone is twerking on kids. Well, he did say that. Not what he said. But are you pretending that there aren't, in some cases, exactly that happening? We can see the videos. It is. Right. But to argue that's what we're pretending everything is. Well, that's your statement. He made the point that that's happening. It's wrong. Right. So he's making it very clear that he's pointing out the problem. He's not conflating everything. He's spoken to a lot of people. He's had these conversations. Now, of course, he could be lying. But quite frankly, the guy seems very measured and very intelligent. And he obviously, at least what he's presenting, is he wants to understand. He made a very good point. So if you frame these two sides, the people that are screaming at him, calling him a Nazi and you're a bigot. And is that what he looks like? Is that what he's acting like? It's an interesting contrast. Now, I'm not even saying everybody on the other side is that way either. There are, like I keep saying, there's plenty of people that are in the trans movement even, or this that are transgender that are willing to have these conversations. But the fact that this person gets framed as a Nazi, I mean, it just shows you how broken this is right now, right? Whether relig- Christian or not, this person is somebody that is the kind of, that's a kid that I would like to have. Somebody who is respectful, who is intelligent, who is willing to hear what you have to say and is going to engage in a conversation. That's what a, that is what a, a, what's the right even term? What's the right? I don't know. Just that's, that's what the kind of person that we should strive to be. Now, last points on this one, the segment that I'm going to rapidly go through the last part since I kind of gave up on trying to go fast. So it's been added an extra hour here. World swimming's governing, world swimming's governing body has banned identifying men for competing with women. See, all this is falling apart. Starting Monday, apparently, Leah Thomas is banned from competing with women. Why? Because that's a man, guys. And the man, when competing with other men, was finishing a lot, 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 lot lower and then becomes a woman and suddenly wins, right? Now, you could think about that however you want. The bottom line is we all used to understand that there's a biological difference, and that's a fact. And it gives them an advantage. That's also a fact. And that's why... Even these groups are now suddenly coming along and saying, okay, fine, you're right. It's ridiculous. And we're going to go back. And so there's been a political agenda pushing all this. (laughs) Things just like this that we should all laugh at. Still going, though. Gay penguins at London Aquarium are raising genderless chick. That's a real article. As he says, enough with this stupid nonsense. It says, quote, the chick will be the first of its kind in the history of the famous London Aquarium not to be characterized as male or female. Oh, okay, so you're doing that. Quite literally has nothing to do with the penguins. Let's not pretend that they're the ones choosing that. It's just so ridiculously childish. It's completely natural for penguins to develop genderless identities as they grow into mature adults. (laughs) So they're not developing genitalia? Or are you pretending to know what these penguins think? (laughs) Like, let's laugh at how ludicrous this is. My God. Now, very quickly, and I'm probably going to go through this again at another point because I do want to talk about this for a while, but Gateway Pundit points out Wells Fargo customers rage over missing deposits from bank accounts. That's August 5th. Do you know how many times Wells Fargo has been fined billions of dollars for criminal activity and no one goes to jail? That's why this still happens. But also it's because this is where they're already going and I think they all are aware that they're all corrupt. But yeah, just taking your money and no one's got, oh, we don't know. Sorry. Give us a week and a half. We'll get it back to you. Maybe that happened, that happened to my brother. 
Suddenly he's missing, or they charge what it was, they charged him twice for a $3,600 payment. And, they, and he called and they were like, oh, it's a glitch. Sorry, give us 10 days. And he was like, F, F you. <laughs> you can imagine how I would respond. 10 days, my ass. Like, that's crazy. What if I have rent to pay? I've got bills to pay. Nope, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Bernie's tweets points out, banks withholding your money from you without your consent. It's really happening. Nat West imposes new cash limits, which has already happened in the United States. You can't get more than $500 out pretty much anywhere. It's your money. Doesn't matter. Also, crypto limits. Because why not? Because you're not in charge, even though it's your money. As I pointed out recently, apparently another bank failed on July 28th that nobody wants to talk about. Heartland Tri-State Bank was closed by the Kansas Office of the State Bank Commissioner. Why isn't that a big deal? Should be. Daily Hodel points out, and this is the point I thought was most important, $262 billion in deposits have exited JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citibank, in just one year as government reveals collapse of another bank. That's where I saw that. Thank you to this platform I'm not familiar with, the Daily Hodel. What's really interesting to me is this is the exact opposite of what they're telling people to do. Just like the bivalent shot, this shows you that people, whatever their paradigm perspective, are going, I don't trust the government. Thank God we're finally waking up to reality. The, the re, Catherine Austin Fitz points out the whole point of the collapsing banks and what they're doing is trying to drive you into the larger banks. That's her opinion anyway. I agree. And guess what everyone did? The opposite. <laughs> Good job, everybody. You heard, you saw through it. But here's what the, here, this is the bigger point to me. That's not new. That's been going on. This Here's, a, here's an article from July, uh, April 2023. U.S. bank deposits fall $76 billion, led by largest institutions. Deposits now lowest since July 2021. So they've been hiding this from everybody. Guys, we are all aware that there's a big problem. The banks are corrupt. They're all lying and cheating and trafficking humans and drugs and whatever else is going on. That's a real story, including messing with the gold and silver prices. Nobody ever goes to jail for any of this stuff. They're all criminals. Here's one from, uh, where was the date on this again? May 31st. Guess what it says? U.S. banks lost $472 billion in deposits in just the first quarter. <laughs> My God, no wonder they're freaking out. Guys, they're pushing this forward rapidly. Probably one of the main reasons. People are leaving in droves. That's half a trillion dollars in just the first quarter. Now, here's the most recent one, July 29th. Banks are still losing deposits. That's what's important to remember. It's not a new story. This has been ongoing. And I don't, this is pretty incredible that this isn't like the one of the head stories because this is a big deal. But it's here, here's on top of what we just showed you. They gave up another $262 billion when compared to the, the year period from before, the earlier year period. That's, a, that's crazy to me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow back up on this, but this is a big deal. So get your money where you could protect it, whatever that means to you. On top of that, they're trying to take that in any way they can. As I said, welcome to the technocratic age of energy debt slavery. We've been in debt slavery for a long time. Hopefully you've woken up to that. But now it's energy debt slavery, which you probably only had a choice to walk away from. This is somebody's bill. I think this is Australia. $1,258 for one month. Guys, nobody can afford that. That's crazy. They are robbing people. And here's why. It's the same reason for before. Take it on the chin for because Putin, right? 
Germans now, as they're telling you, because they can't keep always pointing at Putin, well, you have a moral obligation. How long have I been telling you this was coming? A moral obligation to sacrifice living standards and wealth, claims one of the Green Party members of the government. Right. So now it's your responsibility to give up what you like and want and your money and your your livelihood. Well, because, you know, because we all have to do better. Are you going to do that? No, no. We have to live better so we can lead. No, you don't. Right. As Simon Sinek says, leaders supposed to eat last. What you're doing today is going, we need to eat first because we have to lead. Even even if you have to die to do so. No, you guys aren't leaders. Right. You are rulers. Leaders are natural. People respect leaders. You're forcing us to follow you with penalties. That's not a leader. And everybody sees you for what you are. Lastly, don't forget what's going on with Dr. Joseph McCullough. It's, it's quite incredible, actually. He's one of these most prominent examples that I can see. He, his whole JT Morgan Chase Bank got shut down. His CEO, his CFO, even their children and spouses, guys. I mean, that's just unbelievable. It's coming. The social credit system scheme to topple Mercola. So we need your support on top of that. But realize that they're coming after you guys. They're, like, this is why we need to insulate ourselves from the broken system. Now, I was going to go into this whole point about the sovereign bank discussion. And I, don't, I just don't want it's hard work four hours. I don't have time for that. I'm going to go into this again in the future. But I've got a really interesting idea about I'm, I'm going to reach out to Catherine Austin Fitz possibly for an interview about how, whether or not this might be possible, about where this goes, the, the local states and how that might be built and what happens next. We'll get into it soon. But thank you for being here, guys. And continuing to push back against all of this because I know it's difficult. I know it's hard to stand against all this stuff when people are calling you crazy, even though you know that you're being objective. So thank you for being a part of this community and continue to support us. I also have something else coming soon. I, I'm going to set up a campaign. Uh, it's entitled Save the Last American Vagabond because what we're, it, we're I haven't co- updated everybody about the recent status. We were going to be starting some new things. And ultimately, we were, I'm going to be starting a campaign in this regard to try to raise about $5,000 a month to maintain where what we're currently doing because we've increased output, both myself and Derek and, and Robert and Taylor and in everything we're doing. Matt Eric, Derek Bros. And the point is that I want to keep doing what we're doing. I want to go up. I don't want to reduce what we're doing. I don't want to pull back on the article content, which is what will happen. So we're going to do a campaign. It'll be coming out soon. Kind of an ongoing thing. It's not going to be like a fundraiser one day thing. It's going to be something where we're trying to marshal funds to raise you know, that another probably about $5,000 a month or whatever we can do to make sure we can keep doing this. Uh, So, you know, I'm going to do it no matter what, but it'll ultimately potentially amount to less shows for me, less articles for everybody, if not losing writers. And I don't want that to happen. And it's not anybody's fault. I mean, at this point, our, this is what's crazy, by the way, all of our video content, all of it is increasing in views everywhere. We're getting hundred thousand views on rumble sometimes. But the content on the web or the engagement on the website continues to go down and then donations continue to minimize. And I'm wondering whether I'm even getting what you're sending at this point. Right. I mean, I'm just so we got to. So that's why the Gibson go is a good way to look at it and a good way to make that sure. But I'm I'm concerned with where it goes. And I also know that all you are being squeezed and I don't want to have to ask everybody else for more that are already supporting us. You know, it's so it's so conflicting for me. For those that have been following this platform for so long, I, I, I something I hate even doing. I hate having to even ask for that, you know. But as we see in the chat is we're people funded. We need you to succeed. So if you want to see this grow, please help us out. And we will be doing a lot more going soon, right? We have a lot coming, a lot of new things, outstanding interview coming from Taylor. Now I know people feel that's taken a long time to come out, 
but there's a lot going on for her work she's doing as well as a very big project with multi-camera views. And there's a lot coming your way there. So, so give her, give her time. Don't rush her on that. It's going to be coming out soon. And uh, thank you for your support guys. I couldn't do this without you. I love you all as always question everything, come to your own conclusions, stay vigilant. When the central bankers of the G7 nations went into the room in Jackson Hole in August 2019 and they voted on the going direct reset, everything that's happening to us right now is part of the going direct reset and they voted on it. It was a plan. Okay. So they wrote a plan. They decided to do this. So they've been, they've been engaged in the financial coup for 20 years. We're now coming into the end game. They have to consolidate the financial coup and they vote on the going direct reset. And with that one decision, they made a decision over the next year to put 500 million people out of work. That's the equivalent of dropping several nuclear bombs around the world. That's financial warfare. And they made it intentionally, they made it knowingly, and it was a plan. And what is very important to understand when you think about this pandemic is people are not dying from magic viruses. People are dying from tyranny. They're dying from a great poisoning that's part of that tyranny. But our problem and the thing we need to be afraid of is tyranny because the tyranny is about to get much, much worse. And, and it's the passports and, and that system of central bank digital control that will give them the ability to do that.